Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness some scenes from the next attraction to play this theater. This picture, truly one of the most unusual ever filmed, contains scenes which under no circumstances should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily upset. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Only a movie. We urgently recommend that if you are such a person or the parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the auditorium. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Only a movie. Take as only much as you can. Hello everyone, welcome to Kill the Cast. My name is Jerry, and here with me as always is the Silent Hill biker himself, Kenneth. Hi. That was a that was a, the most beautiful hi I've ever heard. That was as if angels had came down. Uh that was I'm just kidding, that was like pyramid head talking. Um Nice. Uh, do you think hold on, time's out. Okay, I'll get into a second. And also joining us is a special guest, one of the smartest people in podcasting. We have Little Watt. <laughs> Watson, where wait, Watson, where's Little Watt? I t- he's uh he's in his room playing <laughs> What the nice fuck? One. He's, oh. he's playing uh, some video games with some friends uh, online. I think he. I'll have to replace him right now. I'll sit in. Uh, oh shit! I'll, I'll be, uh, yeah. Okay. Here I am. I'm glad I chose uh, adult-oriented movie. Then, uh, Mr. Watson from Horror Corridor <laughs> is joining <laughs> us tonight. Okay, oh, man, my so, friends. I I'm massively grateful to be here today. So stoked! Thanks a ton. Thanks a ton. Yes, I I in fact I did not have to pay him to be here. It was amazing. I was yeah. like, you want to come on? And he's like. Yeah, and I was like, all right, so how much do you want? And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, nothing. <laughs> I just don't know what you mean. Uh, Kenneth, Did you say where you wanted him to come on at? Uh, oh! Uh, well, you know, I'm a genie in a bottle. Kenneth, you just got to rub me the right way. If you want to <laughs> be with me. All right. Yeah, anyway. Okay, uh, uh, Kenneth, real quick, if, if has Pyramid Head ever actually talked? Can he talk? Not, not that I'm aware of. There's, I wonder if there's a, uh, a pyramid head like porno video. I know there's drawings, but is there a porno video with pyramid head? Kenneth, why have you there's, not made it rich and made this happen? Do it, Kenneth. Uh, I, I totally should, but no, uh, I don't think he's had a voice anywhere. I don't remember a voice from the movie. Watson, do you remember the voice from the game? I will tell you this much because I, I don't remember any any voice from Silent Hill Two because I like everybody. Kenneth and I have in common that we're both Silent Hill bikers. We both love our Silent Hill, both love our motorcycles riding off in the sunset, and we both have the same horror, favorite horror novel, The Vampire List. We're gangsters up in this, but as Hell for yeah. Pyramid Head, yeah, man. As for Pyramid Head, though, I don't think he's talked, but once upon a time, my sister and I had a band, like a two-person band. She played guitar, and I played drums and screamed, and we did, like, a, it was all about Silent Hill 2. That's all we sang about, because it was the only video game she'd ever played, and I taught her to play the songs. So, yeah, I, I was once the voice of uh, Pyramid Head. He did some rapping. 
and screaming. Very cool. So just just throwing that out there. Maybe for another time, I'll, I'll lay down a verse uh, oh when I can God. remember it. I want to hear Pyramid Head rapping. That sounds glorious. Like. Okay. Because I remember yeah. in your podcast, I remember you talking about this, and I was like, wow, that's that's fucking awesome. I oh, did I mention that? This. Yeah, you did when you were doing your uh, your favorites episode. You are talking oh, about yeah. the video game, and you talked about yes. it as a band. Oh, God, I forgot I did that. That's awesome. That's cool. I got, oh, Watson, I got to act smart as shit the other day uh, based off information you had given me. I was listening to... Tell me um, how. I was listening to Skeleton Crew, and uh, they were... Uh, Alex played two of his rap songs, and uh, Dave and Jamie were talking about how he sounds like Eminem. And so I messaged uh, Alex, and I was like, Alex, if it makes you feel any better, I don't think you sound like Eminem, mostly because you sound like the guy Eminem ripped off, Cage. And he yes. laughed, and then I was like, I have to give total credit to Watson because I only oh. know this because of Watson. And Cage. I and I had been I've been listening to a lot of uh, Cage when I'm not listening to Every Time I Die or Push a T. So that that's been the three people <laughs> I've been rotating currently. That oh, Friday man. the thirteenth rap that he did, man, was fucking amazing. Oh, oh it's fantastic. God. Yeah. Shout out to Alex, man. Hell yeah. 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 That was amazing. I listened to it and I was like, wow. Yeah, that's just so. so good. And actually, in, in in that episode I was listening to, which is uh, during the Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective, he plays another yep. song he did for the '80s, and then he also plays yep. a verse someone else did for Freddy Krueger. That yep. his first verse for the Friday Thirteenth song was supposed to be that. So, yeah, if you guys want to know what the hell I'm talking about, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective by the Skeleton Crew. Uh, it's any their episode. It's either in Nightmare on Elm Street one or Nightmare on Elm Street two it's one of those two because i know i'm only i'm on nightmare on Elm street four for their retrospective so yeah, yeah. yeah. anyway shout out to the skeleton crew yeah um, hey jerry did you did you hear that rap song that i sent you and dan chase did you hear that one i did that i played guitar on and then did the the vocals that, or did i yes not yeah yeah no, I did. so Which, so yeah I, I can throw down some rhymes myself i'll do it G. me and watson uh <laughs> no me and dan the other night were actually recording raps to each other and sending them to each other on facebook oh, oh that's man. sweet oh yeah because hey funny story kenneth and i used to have a rap group it oh man did. and kenneth, what was it called um uh east side slashers yep and uh oh, kenneth man, a whore actually, name yeah kenneth actually uh can rap really fast he's actually like he was like the tech nine of the group oh heck yeah man i love tech nine yeah, it, yeah was, it was great. We had a good time. Yeah. Then we dropped that and we started doing, uh, we had a two-piece uh, band that was a mixture of like metal guitar, but hardcore vocals because I can't do metal vocals. I can just do okay. like shitty punk vocals. So we did that. This is, this is. And then we, and then we, dr- we dropped that and we started doing drugs. Mm. And then podcasting. Yeah. Yay. Podcasting <laughs> came way down the line. Yeah. Because me and Kenneth have always talked about it because people, uh, are, one of our oldest friends, Roxy, she used to tell us that she wished she could record the conversations Kenneth and I would have because we could just go, go, go uh, on almost anything. Um, and how Kenneth ended up on Kill the Cast is uh, Jay and I recorded our first episode, but then we kept having scheduling conflicts and we could not get together to record um, so I was just like, Jay, I'm going to do an episode with my buddy, buddy Kenneth. If you want to find someone you can do an episode with, uh, that's cool. We'll, we'll do that until we can line something up together. And then I called Kenneth and I was like, Kenneth, 
will you come do this with me? And he did, and we did I Saw the Devil, and I cried that night because he didn't like I Saw the Devil as much as I did. Wait, was that, that was, because I remember that episode. I, yeah, that would have been Kenneth's first episode, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was episode yep. two. Episode two was Kenneth. Okay. Okay, because I, I listened to some of them out of order at first because um, on it, it it organized them strangely on my iPod. And so I, I like listened to the first few and I was like, oh, this is a current episode. This is the first episode. What's going on here? So, yeah, okay. I remember that. Yeah, it was fun. So, anyway, uh, Kenneth, what have you been doing this week? Um, the biggest thing that I went and did this week is uh, I went and checked out 15 acres of guns at the NRA annual meeting. Yeah, you took a picture of, of some old white guy. Who was that? Uh, Lee Ermey. What is he from? The d- full Metal Jacket. And oh, he was yeah. also he was in uh, he was in Full Metal Jacket, and he was also in uh, Texas Chainsaw Remake and Texas oh, fuck. Chainsaw: The Beginning. And he was mm-hmm. in The Frighteners. Yes, yes, that's him, man. Ooh. You should have went up and talked to that dude. Dude, the line was crazy. Oh, I yeah? haven't even seen I haven't even seen a line that long when I went to the horror convention. Damn. Dude, it was insane. Jeez. But you also got to take into consideration how many people were there, man. When I say 15 acres, all right, when I got when I looked on the health thing on my iPhone, I walked 6.5 miles. <laughs> I took oh, I took almost 13,000 steps. Woo. Damn. I mean, dude, it was crazy. I was so tired by the time I left, man. Did you buy any new guns? No, I didn't buy guns, but I bought some really, really cool um, cleaning gear for my guns, and I found this crossbow that I really, really want, but it's $2,000. Damn! Uh, yeah, you just borrow a crossbow from uh, uh, fucking Jason from the Friday remake. Damn, right? <laughs> and I'm, but um, I did discover that I want a Glock, so I'm probably, my mom's uh, probably going to get me a Glock for my birthday. Oh, and nice. then, uh, yeah, and then... Uh, uh, I saw a couple of uh, 1911s that I want, and co- some other things. I want a Benelli shotgun. Wait, so did, did yeah, you say money. Ni- did you say 1911s? 1911s. Oh, I thought you said I thought you said 1911s. I'm like, who the fuck names a gun like that? Like, is there a 789 also? <laughs> <laughs> but no, 1911s are like the uh, are like one of the most you know, popular styles of handguns out there. And just about every handgun wow. company makes a style of 1911. It wasn't created in 1911, though, was it? Actually, I think it might have been. I can't Is remember. That, I'd have to go back and look at the history. That'd be cool. I'd, Colts. Let's name Colts all the of most ours. famous for the 1911. Ah, okay. Colt 45 and two zigzags. Baby, that's all I need. Yes. Yeah, something like that. That's actually where the term Colt 45 comes from, because a Colt 1911 is 45. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Well, um, Watson, what have you been doing this week? Well, shoot. I'll tell you what I haven't been doing, and that's I have not been traversing acres of guns. Like, holy crap, that that's a that's quite a unit of measurement when you're dealing with guns. I'm in, man. Uh, I actually you know what? It's funny, Kenneth. uh, I have a gun. Well, I don't have it here. It's paid for in a gun shop like about 50 miles away. And I paid for it like two years ago and forgot about it. And just have never made my way to get back to pick it up, and so it's it's a nine millimeter Smith and Wesson, and uh, yeah, I don't know because I, I like to go shooting because I, I live out in an area that's like there's nothing here. Like I live close to Olympia, which I say in all my podcast episodes, but 
it's woods like mad. So whenever anybody's like, I don't like it in movies, in the horror movies, when they say, hey, I don't have cell phone reception. I'm like, dude, if I go a mile in any direction, I don't have cell phone reception. Let them go ahead and talk about it because I don't have it either. And so, yeah, but one time, like my brother and I, we were both single and angry. Well, well, I just struck out with this girl because she sat on my motorcycle, Kenneth. And, you know, like if someone sits on your motorcycle without asking and they almost knock it over, are you going to be happy about that? Not at all. And so I, I gave her a piece of my mind. She threw a drink on me. I told I gave her some choice words back like in 2014, a little bit before I met my current lady. And uh, so anyway, I sent her pack in anyway. Like we're both Valentine's Day chilling, my brother and me. And we're just like, hey, why don't we just go shooting in the woods? And we did. So anyways, I didn't do acres of guns this week because so, that's the original question. I wish I did. But uh, this week I have been just working, boring, putting finishing touches on episode eight of Horror Corridor. Best of 2016 episode. The joke on Facebook was, yeah, I'll just put it out in like May or June or something. And then it turned out because of my schedule, that's sort of how it happened. So that's coming up in like probably a week from now. And yeah, I got a couple reviews for other shows I'm editing, working on getting Horror Corridor on a more regular schedule because I've had a lot of cool kind of positive changes that will make it so I can record that podcast more instead of releasing an episode every two months. So rock and rolling, chilling with my son, playing some guitar. That's about it. That's what I've been up to. Jerry. Word. I have, uh, I've been mostly just working cause work week's been crazy. Um, fuck. Have I done anything this week? Kenneth, have I, I've talked to you. I think it's about all I've done is yeah, man, you haven't talked nearly as much as we usually do this week. Yeah. Cause I've been busy with work. Holy shit. I don't think I've done anything this week, but work and then hang out with Reese. That's, that's about it. Like it's just been work, come home, watch a movie, go to sleep. Or watch a TV show, or we actually mostly just watch YouTube. So I have not done a, a <laughs> single thing for any of y'all except um, behind-the-scenes stuff for Kill the Cast and um, – because we moved to Horophilia. This is our second yeah. show on Horophilia. Um, it was supposed to be our first show on Horophilia. Sorry. Uh, it's okay, Watson. You're so damn cute. We'll let you slide. Um, oh, shucks. But we put out the best of the 80s show, which has been getting great response. Uh, we've been getting good reception on the Horophilia Network. So I've, I've honestly just been doing so much of background stuff of that. Um, shout out to Jason Lloyd for not getting annoyed with the 5,000 questions I've asked him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jason's awesome. Um, and then, uh, working on married with children. That's that, that, that's, which I, I record tomorrow. So woohoo. Um, oh wow. That's it. Um, so horror corridor with Mr. Watson and his better half, little Watts. Um, <laughs> yep. So, okay. You have a, a background in music, whether it's playing guitar, rapping, uh, singing um clickety clackety to people and uh that was hilarious oh and, my god that was hilarious oh man oh did you, actually i got something i need to see you watch and you know um the episode bef- the the slasher episode they uh dave z said uh he started singing that song um it's friday night and i feel all right Parties yeah. here on the west side. I rewrote that entire first verse to be about exploding heads. What? And I sent Dave's the only person who's seen it. I sent it to him, and he was like, "You should oh, record man. this shit." And I'm like, "I cannot sing as everyone just heard." 
I was like, I'll send it to <laughs> Watson. Awesome. I'll make Watson do it. Oh, um, dude. But there's some singing in my next podcast. Uh, I do a skit in the beginning on episode eight that's coming out next week. And yeah, there's some there's some singing. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, I wish I could sing. I can't sing. I wish I could sing. I was so trashed. Oh, my God. I can only rap and play guitar. That's it. <laughs> nice. He's very good at playing guitar, too. Um, okay, so you have a very big background in music, whether it's guitar playing, rapping, DJing, all this stuff. And um, you decided you wanted to do a, a podcast and, and you want to do one on horror. And because you have a background in psychology, you wanted to bring a, uh, a smarter approach to podcasting. And that's what you did because both me and Kenneth sat there and said, I can't believe someone thought this much about Ghostbusters. For real, man. <laughs> but that's one, that's one of my favorite things I like about your podcast is because it, 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 it keeps me mentally stimulated. And so when, when I listened to that episode, you know, being the first episode and I listened to it, I was like, when I got done, I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. Oh, dude, thank you so much. Holy crap. That, 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 that's so awesome to hear just kind of firsthand like this because man you know what i do is i sit here and, well those first three episodes were in my cool townhouse twice as big as the apartment i'm living in now but either way i just sit in this little space record on my mic alone i have notes like way too many pages to even talk about like i don't think one of my podcast episodes has been done with fewer than like about 50 pages of notes because when you're doing a solo cast you know i don't have anyone to bounce off of so it has to all be me and it's not like a band, you know, if you got a band, right, you got your lead singer, guitarists, bassist, drummer. Well, if something's going on, lead singer can step back, guitarist can shine, bass player can shine, drummer can shine or whatever. Well, with like, say, like, it's like a rap show where there's no instrumentalist on the stage. It's just this one guy and he's got to entertain you the whole time. So he better freaking do it. And I didn't realize that's how it was going to have to be with solo casting. And so I don't know. I'm having a blast, though. And. Yeah, I, I don't know. I got the background in psychology. I got this degree I don't use, so I have to use it for something. And so, because I'm a construction dude, that's like what I do by trade. Like I, I did it when I was 15. I've walked away from it tons of times. I keep coming back because it makes the most money. Not even that great of money. Shout out to my bosses. But no, it's so like whoa, the buzz is kicking in. The, the whiskey's kicking. I'm about to get give fired. him a no, raise. I, I give yeah, him gangsta. a raise all the time, and I take a picture <laughs> of it does. and send it to him. And y'all can't give and him my a raise. My girlfriend Come is on. glad. And Wait, my girlfriend's what? happy. What? What? Hey, uh, I don't know. No, no, nothing. Nothing. But don't no, I don't make know. me just... start airing out some shit you were saying with me and Dan. I don't even understand what you're talking about. But anyways, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's just been fun to podcast because I would listen to these other podcasts who would take this stance on a horror, and they were doing the, I guess, the intellectual route. But I'm not purely that either. Yeah, I might get good grades when I do school. I might kind of nail it. But I also am the guy sitting in the front row paying attention to the professor, trashed off the whiskey in my coffee cup. I'm like the worst of both worlds. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like, like if Ernest Hemingway had no accomplishments, he's just a drunk guy in a bar who can write but doesn't, that's me. And so I podcast, and I'm like this, yeah, I'm like Hannah Montana, the best of both worlds, but I'm like the worst of them. I don't know. People like the podcast, and, and I'll take it. I, I, I'm just chilling, having a lot of fun like you guys are about to, and I just want to welcome you guys too because Horophilia accepted me with open arms, and uh, – you know, it's awesome. And, and we're doing the same thing with you guys because you guys are a fantastic fit for this network because you guys are smart in your own right, smart, charismatic. And between the three of you hosts, like it's, just, you know, shout out to Jay. Sorry, you can't be here, buddy. Would have loved to mix it up with you. But like 
I love, I'm captivated by every episode because you guys have a fantastic charisma. I love Silent Hill Bikers. I love me that Jerry. You got my phone number, homie. That's how it goes. No one else on Horphelia does. Brandon Orlick's been trying to get it, but I don't know. It's I'd, I'd give it up for Brandon. Who I'd give it up for Brandon. <laughs> Gosh, doesn't he just have the nicest face? <laughs> oh, it's, it, it's, that, it's that New Jersey voice. I'm telling oh, you, Oh, I know, Jersey. New oh, Jersey. Ah, yikes. Oh yeah, no, I said juicy. Gonna bust out the Jew jokes for Brandon. Uh, yeah, your yeah. uh, your your show was wonderful. Uh, my two favorite Thank episodes, you. um, is actually the Frailty Mist episode. Yes. Um, because I finally watched Frailty, and I I liked it all the way up until like the second twist in the ending. Um, sure. which JP gave me so much shit about. Oh my god. Yeah, he loves that movie. Yeah. Um, and then the I love Mist. JP. Which, oh yeah, shout out to JP. Uh, hurry up and get that 100 episode done. Uh, uh, but The Mist was fantastic. And then having your your son on there to do those with you was very interesting. Just to, to kind of get... One, you can tell how much he gets from you. Like, he was uh-huh. so fucking professional. I was like, well, fuck, I'm just going to have him replace me on my show. People will like it better. Dude, same like, here on mine. I had him do the intro on mine. <laughs> like, shit. Yeah. It's just like, shit. <laughs> like, 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 dude is talented and he, like, but it's seriously, he would be like, well, I'm not good at, at, uh, picking out little details and remembering that. But this is how I feel about this. And he would go into it and it's like, yeah. To, to um, be able to say what you're not good at and be able to go, but here's how I do do things is wonderful because most people could never admit them. Admit that about themselves, especially as a very young teenager. So he's thirteen, man. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a he's such a good kid. I'm just I'm not just saying that because like I'm his dad, but we've been through a lot. It's just been the two of us for a long time, and now we're in this like kind of family environment with my lady and her daughter, and you know, and and like things are good. And he like he's just such a good kid, and he came prepared to that podcast episode. He walked in with his notes. And just had them laid out in front of him. He sat next to I'm sitting here right where I was sitting that day. He sat next to me on a desk. I gave him a handheld mic. And he just had his notes and was really happy. And I'm, gl- I'm glad that came across. Yes. And you did a very good job of directing him. Because with it being his, his first <laughs> time doing it, you can tell at certain points sure. um, that, that he he's either like he's trying to figure out how he wants to go about it. And you did a very good job of uh, pointing him in the right direction without forcing him to do what you want him to do. It just came off very well. And my second favorite episode is the oh, yeah. the Krampus episode. The history going through the history oh, of Christmas with you. Thank you. Was so fucking interesting. I was sitting there the whole time, like I didn't even know about the Winter Tales or any of that. Um, and oh, I, I learned so much from that episode. And it was, and, and you have you have the Bill Nye ability to to teach and make it interesting and keep me entertained the entire time you are the the bill nye of horror podcast oh man Um, thank you man shoot that episode was i'm so proud of that episode because i i had all this krampus folklore talk i could have talked about and i seriously had probably a a slated an hour of content based on that alone and maybe another half hour to do and i cut i cut most of it and just kind of kept it what it was and i felt good about those cuts and it's my shortest episode so far, I think. 
But in any case, man, like, yeah, I'm glad you appreciated that because I don't think that episode it's seasonal episodes don't get a lot of love unless it's the season. And I think I was so late on it because it came out on Christmas Day that I don't think it got very many downloads. Jason could probably clear that up for me. But I think of all my episodes, I think that one that I put so much love into was like, well, we'll get to that next year. And maybe I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. But it, yeah, thank uh, you for appreciating that. It, it made yeah, me see, finally watch Krampus. I haven't gotten that far, and it's starting to make me jones to want to listen to him. It's like I don't want to do my podcast anymore. I want to listen to Horror Corridor. <laughs> this episode I did is an original. Done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. That was kill the cast, kill the cast. No, but I, I did a, an original composition for that too. Some music mm-hmm. got my flexed my piano skills, and yeah, I don't know. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I. Oh, Kenneth, you're gonna, dude. I, you know how I'm into history, and I know you're in history. You're going to love him walking through the the history of of why christmas and horror are are related why scary stories are related it is wonderful that is by far that's my second favorite episode oh dude i love it and it was it wasn't even a hard choice like all the episodes are good i love i love all the episodes um but like well, my- right now the one that i'm in is the uh, exorcism of emily rose that's nice. the one that i'm in right now and uh i'm 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 enjoying it i really am um i'm glad you gave credit where credit was due on your explanation of the exorcist because if you hadn't we would have been fighting because that well, is my yeah that is my favorite horror movie of all time well check this out kenneth uh i got asked on a podcast recently that's a secret podcast no one will ever hear this episode except for like it's an interview with me and it's in a secret group I'm in, just a bunch of friends I've had online like for about the past like six or seven years. And the the guy who leads the group recorded a podcast and had me be the first guest on it. And he asked me what I felt the ultimate horror movie was. He's like, don't tell me your favorite. Tell me what the ultimate one was and and what scares you. So I told him, OK, Exorcism of Emily Rose actually manages to frighten me. But I'm only kind of okay on that movie. It only made my top 10 because it's the only movie that scares me. But the ultimate horror movie is The Exorcist. And I went into the big history of what it did for the genre and what it did in the early 70s when, I mean, you have all this. uh, Yeah, it's in the episode. But, like, that movie to me is the ultimate horror movie. I'm not saying the best. I'm not saying the worst. I'm saying as far as what it did in its time and what it was doing, like, as a reaction to the you know, God is dead headlines in the 60s and all of a sudden the pendulum swings over to religious fervor and fear, but also for salvation and, and you know, the hippie loving, you know, Jesus folks. Like there was a lot going on there and the exorcist captured that and ushered in this interesting era. Credit, 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 man. So love it. And see, yeah, and see, that's like Jerry would be able to tell you. A long time ago, I actually wrote a review on The Exorcist with it being my favorite. And I went into that. I went into what makes The Exorcist great is it's not just the content, but it's when it came out. It came out at a perfect time in cinema history because at that time period, people were, you know, with uh, Christianity being the biggest religion in the United States, but people had never seen anything like that. They had never been subjected to that. The closest that they had been subjected to at that time period was like rosemary's baby and you don't get and you don't get to see that's the biggest thing i hate about rosemary's baby is you get to see all this of her being pregnant and what and what you know the kid that she's going to have and everything but you don't get the real big money shot of the stuff after that you know after the antichrist is born and that's my biggest problem that i got with rosemary's baby and so when the exorcist came out there you go there's the beginning of your money shot right there and people and it took the it took the country by storm you know, it was. It's one of the greatest. To me, it's the greatest horror movie of all time. Well said, buddy. Shoot. 
Y'all are both wrong. It's Jaws, but whatever. Um, oh, Jaws is oh, Jaws is so good too. Shoot, I'm uh, not mid. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not making bones uh, about that. Shoot. But yeah. Um. So, uh, Horror Corridor is currently working through a top ten list that Watson did for his second episode. The second episode was a top list show, but he didn't just do his top ten movies. He did favorite books, favorite TV shows. Um, he even threw, like, he, he uh, didn't you, you threw in a song, because I remember listening to a symphony the or end. something at the end. Yeah, the very, the, yeah, the scariest yeah. song I've ever heard. Well, yeah, yeah, um, uh, from 1911, <laughs> believe and, it or not. Yeah, and then you, and then you came out and said, the next 10 episodes are all episodes centered around my top 10 favorite movies. Yeah, it was a way to direct a show, yeah, because I didn't know how to tackle, oh, shoot, what episode do I do next? So I committed myself to, like, a story arc, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and that's perfect because oh. only, I'm only ever, like, Kill the Cast is only ever planned out, like, two shows ahead, if I'm lucky. Real quick, real quick, before you get into him going further, have you ever listened to the Black Tapes, Watson? Yes, sir. Okay, it hit home when you played that piano sonata. It hit home with me because the guy oh. that did it, Scriabin, yep. they actually talked to somebody in the black tapes named Scriabin in Russia, and it, it never hit me until you did that. And I was just like, wow, that dude was real? You know what's funny? Because I, I listened to all that in the black tapes after this episode because I listened – yeah, and I was just like, holy crap, there's no freaking way that I just talked about Scriabin on my podcast, decide, hey, I need something to listen to at work. Oh, I'll, I'll get back on the black tapes. And then they're talking about Scriabin, too. I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. That's fantastic. So, yeah. Woo. Dope. It's good stuff. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that is Horror Corridor. Uh, yeah, there's stuff there. Pimp that out real quick, Watson. Where can they find you? Oh, we're talking. So, like, this is the this is plug time. Okay, well, yeah. anyways, yeah, we're talking about. Uh, okay, so first off, there's a Horror Corridor page on Facebook. Find me on Facebook. It's a group you can join. Join that group page. But there's another group called Horror Corridor that you can like. That's not me. Don't like it. Don't do it. You can like it in your mind, but it's not me. So, blah. Uh, you can get the episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are played, including horophilia.com and horrorcorridor.com, which my son, my 13-year-old son, Lil Watt, runs and is pissed at me because I never give him show notes on the last like four episodes. So I will have to remedy this. But that's H-O-R-R-O-R-C-O-R-R-I-D-O-R.com. Rock and roll. That's how you find me, Horror Corridor, baby. And have you given him a raise yet? I have bought him stuff because he saved episode eight, uh, like from from some recording issues I was having. I don't know if we talked about this uh, aside from the show, but he saved the episode, so I bought him a video game for Xbox One, and then I bought him some nice headphones when he first got the job. So, you know, there, there's incentive. I don't make any money from it, but he potentially gets possessions and things for it. Good. That's what I like to hear. Cause, cause oh, he's the, the best, yeah. The website looks great, and the show is amazing. If you're not listening to it, please go listen to it, especially if you listen to like um, the Psycho 3 show that Kenneth and I did, and you were like, damn, they went deep. Well, go listen to Mr. Watson, because he makes us look like children. Stop. He also dresses me up like a child sometimes. It's very weird. I mean, you know, Woo! Jared Fogle in the footlong. Wow. Yikes. Yikes. Right. <laughs> Yikes. It's this whiskey buzz. I don't know what's going mm. on. I just said. Actually, I had a, I had Firehouse subs the other day, and it was delicious because I went to go see. Oh, that's what I did this week. I went to go see uh, a <laughs> double feature of The Fly. David Cronenberg is a fly and, and The Thing. John Carpenter is The Thing at a theater, and it was fantastic. 
Oh, do you, okay. What, what theater was playing that near you? Is it like, do you have an art house theater oh, that does dude. like a lot of those older films? Or? Okay, there is a place here called Full Moon Cinema. It is a one screen movie theater plus a tattoo shop plus what? they run a haunted house during uh, the during like the horror month of October. They're also having a convention. Uh, they've had it a couple times before. They're having a convention again this October. Um, and soon I'll be teaming up with Mike from uh, We're Gonna Need a Bigger Show podcast. And we are going to be teaming up to interview the owner to talk about how do you how do you go about creating this? Because this place is amazing. I went and saw Hellraiser and the Lost Boys double feature there, and it was great. And I went and saw uh, the thing in the fly there, and it was fantastic. It it's Man. it's so so good. It was so much fun. Um, but yeah, it literally just Friday and Saturday nights. He does a double feature, and you can either just come and watch it. Or they actually do a dinner. You can pay a little bit extra and get a dinner while you watch your movie. And My you, man. you can go and get a tattoo. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> so that's what I did. But, yeah, speaking of When movies, I come up to see you, we're going to have to make it a date. Oh, yeah. We will, we will definitely make that a date. It'll get so handy. Um, wait a second. Nice. Wait a second, Jerry. Wait a second, Jerry. What? You just reminded me. I also took my my lady my lady out on a date. We uh, the other night we went to our favorite goth bar. There's like this big satanic statue. Well, I don't think it's satanic, but it's like some. I don't think it's like. I think it's more of a pagan statue in the middle of the bar. Red lights. There's an embalming table that's been used from the 1920s. And uh, we went on our first date there because I got to test these girls. You know, you got this pretty little blonde. I'm like, okay, if you're not into the whore, I can't mess with that business. And so it sure turns out we're here two and a half years later, but. We went. It's called the Cryptotropa, and then right after that, we got we, we got our drinks there. Then went across the street to the Capitol Theater in Olympia and caught a screening of Personal Shopper. It's not as cool as the theater you were talking about, but they do a horror fest that uh, on that episode Lil Watt was on episode five of Horror Corridor. We went to like a horror fest they do every November, the week after Halloween. So you know they, they get their their toes wet and a little bit of that that horror, and they were playing Personal Shopper, a ghost movie. Pretty interesting art house film. And so, yeah, I forgot that I did that too this week. So, yeah, we, we were kind of up to the same sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I remember that date I night. Pictures. Me and oh, I was texting you. Yeah, me and Dan <laughs> me and Dan had to go take our conversation. Because me and Dan kept yeah. talking, but we took it out of that one so that we uh, didn't bother you. Uh, even though we then still st- talked about you. You did. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. we're. I, I need pictures of the inside of this golf club, man. I will send some. Uh, I think I have some, and they have like this free jukebox, and I always play because they have dark themed music on the. It's all free. You just type in which song you want, and they've got like a hundred something records. And then I always choose old like '40s jazz because in that sort of setting, it, it takes on a new dark theme. You know, you got this '40s jazz often with these kind of you know these black singers who were going through you know their own kind of socio socio kind of political pains of the right. day and that translates into this like goth club and you're just feeling this darkness in there and I teach her how to swing dance and so yeah we 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 kick ass there and I'll send you some pictures homie yeah please do wait you can swing dance also what do you not do is there anything you you you're, you're oh, not man. working with i can't do math very oh, very okay. well or math sorry typo <laughs> Okay, you can't speak very well either. We got no, I know. <laughs> I'm not much of an orator. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> we have a, a a movie for you guys. This isn't just us talking about 
random shit. We are doing The Last House on the Left from 1972, directed by Wes Craven. It is his first film. He wrote and directed it, um, and it is produced by Sean Cunningham. On a budget of $90,000, it grossed $3 million in the USA alone and $10 million worldwide. Um, and it is one of the few horror movies from that time that Robert Ebert liked. He gave it a three and a half stars and a actual good review, and people were pissed at him for it. So I don't understand why. Because Robert Ebert shits on horror movies. That's what he does. Um, so it was weird that he did that. Um, I always found it amusing that, you know, two of the biggest horror icons did this movie and then parted ways and one went to do Friday the 13th and the other one went to do Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. So one did a good job. The other one did. (laughs) Okay. Regardless of your personal feelings on Nightmare on Elm Street, you can't deny the fact that Jason and Freddy are two of the biggest horror icons. Oh, no, I give you that. They are definitely, uh, I, I would even say, the two biggest horror icons. Right. I, so. I, I think they take top level. All right. So, this movie involves a young lady named Mary as she goes out to a concert with her friend Phyllis. And uh, while trying to score a little bit of grass, she runs into the underbelly of society and runs into Krug and Company. And from there, we have dark turns. So, with that being said, this movie starts off with a title card saying that all this is true, and that is absolute bullshit. None of this is true. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> that is completely fucking wrong. None of this happened. It is based off uh, a, another film that was then based off fucking folklore from the fucking fucking seven eight hundred years ago or some shit but yeah 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 that's uh it was uh what was it um i i have it in my notes somewhere but it was based on the ingmar bergman 1960 film yep what is the the virgins of spring yep and then what was it then but that itself if i remember correctly was based on a uh like a japanese film like kurosawa what was the what was the name of that it was called like uh rashomon rashomon Mm -hmm. Yeah. From 1950, but that was based on a short story by, uh, gosh, I wish I had my notes here because it's like a, uh, it's a, it's a Japanese name. It's like, a, uh, oh, hold on, it's coming to me, it's coming to me, it's coming to me. I'm, I'm talking too. about, uh, yeah, well, hey, you know what happened here? Listen to my voice. Akutagawa, his short stories in a grove. And mm-hmm. even though he has a short story that's also called Rashomon, so we have Last House on the Left. Based on the Virgin Spring 1960, which was based on Rashomon 1950, which is based on In a Grove by Akutagawa, even though he has a story, a short story called Rashomon, which they all deal with the rape revenge narrative and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's yeah. yeah. And then all of that is based off ancient folklore that is not Japanese. It's um, Norwegian or some shit. I can't remember now off the top of my head. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> so. But the, but this movie um, is one of my all-time favorite movies, mostly because it is truly a fucked dis- up, a fucked up, disturbing, terrifying movie that could one hundred percent happen to you, and probably will if you don't listen to Kill the Cast and Horror Corridor. I'm just saying. Um, yeah. And the movie is crazy '70s, like 
This, do you, if anyone ever want to know what the 70 was like, just show them, like, the first act of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It was like fucking, it, if you took Easy Rider and made it a horror movie. Yes. Hmm. Okay, so, uh, we start off with a very peaceful family dynamic of a very popular girl named Mary who is getting ready for her birthday, and she's about to go to a concert with her friend Phyllis, and her, her dad's a doctor, like, so they're very well off, they're doing very well, um, in fact, the, the opening is kind of like the opposite of the opening to the Halloween remake by Rob Zombie, because they're actually very well put together, and they're not dysfunctional, like, at all, everyone's so happy, besides the father talking about, uh, his, his daughter's nipples, which was odd, um, <laughs> let's just talk about tits, what am I, in the barracks? Yeah, I was like, yes, yes, you are. Um, but it's okay because she's going to go see Bloodlust with her friend Phyllis, who has one of the funniest lines in the whole movie because she says her 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 parents are into iron and steel. Her mom irons and her dad steals. <laughs> I yep. thought that was great. So we have we have this wonderful opening that sets sets up this beautiful movie. And then we go and see the other side of this, because this movie will constantly flip between a happy, calm dynamic to a very disturbing and uncomfortable dynamic, which is one of the things I, I greatly love about this movie. And you will see that as we go on, as it bounces between scenes. Um, and one of the one things that I don't... I've never hear anyone talk about this when they talk about this movie... No one talks about how they set up Krug and Company with these, uh, the, these, uh, this radio program talking about their escape and foreshadowing their evil. Like, no one ever talks about how Krug was arrested for a triple murder of a priest and two nuns. Oh, wow. well, that's actually that's actually something that I have in my notes because a lot of times we talk about characters and development. And the thing about it is, is this movie set up everybody perfectly in the first 15, 20 minutes. Yes. I mean, when I say perfectly, I mean, it set up everybody. It gave you the 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 happy, you know, uh, in this case, it'd be country, but we're just going to use the word suburban. It gave you the happy suburban thing going on with Mary and her parents. And then it immediately set up the fact that she was going to be she was going to get herself in some kind of shitty situation because phyllis was uh you know the bad influence you know what i'm saying quote unquote and then right after that you go into you know the whole radio thing where it basically tells you everything you need to know about krug tells you everything you need to know about weasel tells you everything that you need to know about junior and it also talks about sadie i mean you've got everything that you need to know for the rest of this movie in the first 15 minutes 100%. What's interesting is, uh, so everyone knows, obviously, the guy Krug, you know, is short for Kruger, which would be later used if, in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, and obviously Weasel's first name is Fred. But we have another tie with Weasel because they actually say that Weasel is a child molester. <laughs> Whoa. So yep. there's all this foreshadowing. And they even talk about they set up uh, Junior's character by saying Krug got him hooked on heroin. So that he could easily control him. They set up everyone. Sadie is probably the the one they talk about the least. And really they just say she's kind of animal-like. 
Um, she's very ferocious, which goes more into her 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 dedication to Krug. Um, and, and but yeah, we, I mean, you really don't need a whole lot of a whole lot of. You know, like in a lot of movies that we get now where you've got the first 30, 45 minutes of solid, you know, okay, we're going to we're going to give you a setup for this character and set up for this character. Oh, no, Wes Craven did it perfectly. He was just like, this is everything you need to know. Now go. Yeah. And in in just this, like their little flophouse apartment, once you get in there, you learn that Krug is very controlling and domineering. He is very much the alpha male. Um, He also reminds me of... uh, Dude from Who's the Boss? <laughs> what's, his, what's, his, what's, his, what's his name? Ted. Ted what's, what's his name? Uh, Danza. Tony Danza. Tony yeah. Danza. Dan- yeah, yeah. He reminds me of Tony Danza. If Tony Danza was a fucking evil, he's Tony Danza's evil brother. Uh, yeah. But we 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 learn that he is very much the leader of the crew, and we also learn from that what Weasel. Even though Weasel really sees himself as kind of an equal, he or tries to see himself as equal. He constantly gets pushed back from Krug. Um, we also learn a good deal um, about the state of mind that both Sadie and Junior is are in because you can tell Sadie has such a fictionalized outlook on life. It's a pure fantasy that she wants. And it doesn't really explain where this comes from. We really don't know if Sadie, like, what her past is? Did she have a bad childhood? Um, did she just like get caught up with the wrong people or what? But you can tell her outlook has become very fictionalized as she as she goes. I want more women in this crew, and she has a ideal of what um, the seventy feminism is while still being completely under the thumb of Krug. Like she has it, so you can tell she has a very classic. Um, you know those people that have like a fictionalized view of the world that's created by like watching romance movies and that's what they think love is? Uh, yeah, butterflies and puppy dogs. Yeah. She has that <laughs> same thing except a twisted version of it. And I think and then we get into Junior, who has the most interesting one, and you find all this out from just this simple talk of him saying if he could be anything in the world, he would be a frog and he would just sit on his lily pad and rabbit and eat flies and you can tell that he wants that because he just wants this simple life where he doesn't have to deal with the fact that his father is a piece of shit and he's a loser drug addict he wants his existence to just be super basic without any of this emotional trauma that he he has gone through and it's all told by him just fucking riveting to you yeah, him and Sadie doing that by the tub and everything. Well, she's in the tub smoking that cigar, and he's he's just telling her how he wants to sit on a lily pad and just chill. Like that scene was was really interesting to me, and I, I really like to see that. That it, it shows that they're. And I'll talk about this when we really focus on character development later on in the episode. But that was a really. I'm not going to use the word touching, but it kind of is. There's sort of a, t- a an interesting dynamic going on just in this whole group and it really demonstrates fleshed out characters and it's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. And like Kenda said, the most impressive part is, is within like the first 15 minutes, you pretty much know everything about everyone because right after this, you have, you go from the flop house back to the family house and you get a, um, a lovely scene of 
the girl's out in the woods and the girl you have mary talking about how she's blossomed into a woman and she feels like a woman for the first time of her life and and them just being free and being out on their own and you have that compared to the teenage life of junior and the traumatic that is that he is like wait so yeah, so Jerry, let's let's talk about this scene with them in the woods for a second. I what do you think about the idea that they're seeing this band Bloodlust? Because we we know that the mom, you know, from from right in the beginning, she's not impressed with the band they're seeing. She's appalled by the violence they do on stage. Mom asks, you know, aren't you supposed to be the love generation? We have that whole thing. And I mean, right in the early 70s, we had all those anti-Vietnam War demonstrations going on because in 69, Nixon had said he declared that U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War was done, but the problem was that, what, like not even a year later, Nixon ordered an attack on like some communist sanctuaries in Cambodia. But that's gotten a big American outcry from there. So, and it, there was even an anti-war demonstration at Kent State, you know, where National Guard members shot four anti-war activists. So this is going on right before the filming of this movie, and I think it was a definitely a rough time to be a socially conscious young person, which Wes Craven was while making this film. And I mean, what, what do you think about the angry spirit that kind of permeates this film? Like it's sort of like death to flower power and it sucks that that has to happen. Like, like what, what do you think about all that? Cause uh, I have more to say on that later, but uh, you know, just about bloodlust, you know, that, okay. that was my initial question. What do you think about bloodlust and talking about how she wants to, you know, they're talking about making it, you know, making whoopee with the band and how Mary mm -hmm. wants it to be soft and gentle. Cause that's her idea of an ideal sexual encounter and I think it's funny because she's like talking about doing that, but because she knows they kill chickens on stage, and yet she's fantasizing about like a gentle, lovely gangbang. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm busting up because you know, to be more serious, you know, my my mind went back to this part as she and Phyllis were being terrorized in the woods, which you'll you'll detail later. But because her expectations and her reality, they never meet. Like you don't, yes, you don't I... go out, you don't go outside on any given day expecting to meet your end in such a disgusting, tragic way. She's talking about her breasts finally filling out. She's talking, you know, girl talk with her homie. They're drinking about the band they're gonna see. Even they share, you know, they share that wine. They're trying to score pop. But I mean, like even despite that, these are decent girls who don't live long enough to become women. Like yes. holy crap. So <laughs> like. So you have the, – the big thing I love about this movie is the realism of it because you always hear stories about this uh, young girl or young boy. They were just out at a party or out at a, at a concert or even just riding their bike or something, and someone truly evil shows up and ruins that life. That is real life. In, real, in the real world, you're, you're most likely not going to get – uh, possessed by a demon or eaten by a giant shark or have to deal with a zombie trying to eat your brains but you are going to have to deal with real killers and in a like this and in a world where there is so much social uh, activity going on between the war and and the hippie movement and then you also have this darker side of life with uh, you're getting a lot of exploitation movies coming out that are exploiting uh, sex and violence, you have bands coming out and rock music that are starting to turn the edge and that the 60s was this huge party and this huge love thing as we all became socially conscious that we weren't in the 50s. Going into the 70s where it, it tolls over into people getting past just 
love in going into darker realms of reality and looking for other things to get involved in. You you had, uh, you, you went from the, the Beatles to the doors. You have a completely different change here. And you have bands coming out like blood simple that talk about being violent. And then, then you look at Mary's outlook on world is she, she's supposedly a peace generation flower child. And she really is, even though she is traveling into this edgy world uh, of this band, she still thinks that making love to the lead singer would, would be in cotton sheets and, and nice <laughs> while Phyllis who comes from a, a, a lower income family is like, no man, it would be brutal. Like it would be crazy. Like, so you have you have a class system at work here that's showing that even though the children of the higher up class are starting to lean more into what the lower class already knows, their their vision is still skewed by their luxury that they have. You you well com- completely have this happening, and and I find it very interesting how she talks about feeling like a woman for the first time and talks about what she thinks with sex would be like and what happens to her this uh well the next day day later yeah gosh. um which i'll i'll come back to um yeah i think the yeah. dynamic between the two girls in itself is a social commentary on the death of the 60s you've got the flower power girl on one side and then you've got the pull into the 70s on the other side you basically in a nutshell have pre-Charles Manson and after Charles Manson, pre, uh, you know, you got the Vietnam War right in the middle of it. So you got all these things going on. And I think the girls themselves are the the vision of that. And then as we as everything goes in further, you've got Mary being drug into the uh, being drug into the new world, which everybody is more conscious of what's going on. And they're not trying to avoid, you know, all these things that are right out and in your face. So once you get into the seventies and everything, and Krug and the rest of them come in, that's where it is, where it's just like, okay, flower power. Everybody loves each other. All that stuff. That shit is done. Now we're into the new, we're into the real. And the next thing, you know, we're going to have people like Hunter Thompson and everybody else coming in and telling us how it is. Oh, nice. Nice reference. Yes. So very much. Well so. said. That's what I think. That's my whole over overall view of this movie. Yeah, Gosh. and I, I think I we're it. we're pretty much all on point with that, and they show it. I've already talked about how they go up between the the flop house, and you see a scene where like Re- Weasel and Krug are terrifying these young girls, and Weasel is 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 telling them to move, and, and he he's he's terrifying them, and he's just having a good time, and then like out of nowhere, he just pulls out his knife, and his face goes straight to being dead serious yeah. and frightening these girls and to them they're just having a good time they don't they don't even really care what they're doing to these people and then right after that you flip to mary's family baking yes. a cake and all this this happy music is going on it really shows how terrifying the other side is when you when you have to go from these well-off parents who have raised this flower child to these people who have grew up in the slums they are the com- they are the bottom common denominator and now these two worlds are going to collide and they're going to continue to force themselves into each other 
Yeah, I think the last innocent kind of like holy innocent act we get to see the 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 young Mary and Phyllis do, the young ladies do, is right before the, you know, gotcha. When they're that isn't that scene haunting? Like when the door slams and you hear gotcha, like whoa, like. But anyway, right before that, right before they approach Junior to you know maybe score a little weed to have some fun for the concert, Mary and Phyllis go get ice cream. <laughs> they go get ice cream because they might have had a drink earlier. They might be about to make some attempts to get stoned, but kids love ice cream. Hell <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. I got some ice you know cream sitting downstairs right now. My man. Yeah, but I just like that you're saying that because then we get this juxtaposition of they're being terrorized in this 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 flop house while parents are setting up streamers and birthday banners, you know, and such like that for, for Mary's birthday. And wow. Yeah. And it's <laughs> and it's and for this being such a a, a low budget movie, it works in its favor so well because while everything looks very raw. It, it, it gives it this documentary-like feel where you're seeing everything just happen. And and the acting is actually very well done for these people who had some... There was only uh, two people who had... Well, four. There were four people who had truly done actual acting before. The, the parents, because they had done soap operas and stuff, and they used fake names for the credit... And then you have Weasel and uh, Phyllis. And Weasel and Phyllis are from the adult industry. They're from the porn industry. Oh, I knew he was. She she was too. She Now, she, uh, the guy who plays Weasel says that she is. But in my uh, research, I could not find anything to support this. Okay. Uh, no video, no footage. And I feel like... It's got to be somewhere. Maybe I didn't put enough time into it, but if I can find a video of of Loveless uh, having sexual encounters with a dog on the internet, I should be able oh. to find this. And I could not. And I could. I, I looked in Wikipedia. I looked in IMDb. I searched a few porn sites. I looked. Could not find anything. I don't know if maybe she went under a different name or what, but could sure. not find a single thing. Um and I, I and it's actually I don't know if people realize this, but the guy who played Weasel is the most important person in this movie, not uh, character wise. But uh, Wes Craven, this is his first directing gig. He did not know how to direct actors, and so he just did not. He didn't do it. He didn't know how to make a movie really. And uh, the guy who played Weasel did. He knew how to do all this. He's he got very big directing porn later on. And he would actually uh, show a lot of the actors like uh, David Hess, who played Krug, who had never done it, never acted in a movie before. Oh, wow. Um, Mary, who had never really acted in a movie before. Junior, who had never acted in a movie before. Sadie, who never acted in a movie before. And really, most people only remember the lady who played Sadie because she eventually went on to marry Richard Dreyfus. Yep. Um, Woo! So, Had some kids together, yeah. Yes, he actually is the one who... Uh, showed people I have to act. He also helped with other things. Uh, he would actually call Craven on shit and be like, hey, you need to do this and this before we leave. He's the one that um, would tell him when there's a uh, someone gets shot in the head later on. He's the one that was like, go to a Greek restaurant and get lamb brains, get sheep brains, and you can use that. And he helped throughout this entire movie make it a better movie, especially since... A lot of what you're seeing on screen is completely improv. 
So he basically he basically taught Wes Craven how to be awesome. Uh, no, because he said because he because one he doesn't like Wes Craven. In fact, if you get a chance to get the Blu-ray of the original movie, there are two commentary tracks. One with uh, Wes Craven and Sean Cunningham, but there's another one with Krug, Weasel, and Junior, and it is the funniest thing you will ever listen to. I wish these three guys did a podcast together. It is so funny. But he is very, the guy who played Weasel is very open about not liking this movie, wishing he had never been in it, um, and and not liking Wes Craven and thinking while Wes Craven uh, handles some things well, this movie would not be as good as it was without him. And here's the saddest part. If you look at all the movie posters and stuff, his name is not on the movie poster. The black lady with the chickens has her name on the movie poster, and the guy who plays Weasel doesn't. Wow. So, yeah, I would be very offended also. I don't know if Wes Craven did it because maybe he was mad because dude would call him out on his shit or if it was just a pure accident or what. Oh, sure. But that's some background information for you. So uh, and when you're watching this and you like this movie, thank the guy who played Weasel because he brought uh, all his porn knowledge uh, on how to take a shot, and he ran it. <laughs> Zing. Um. So yes. Um. So before we get into, uh, the next morning, let's just end with the fact that it tells you, it shows you very well. It sets up everyone. It shows that Krug is the leader. It shows how f- fucked up this dysfunctional family is, and it covers everything from the the two extremes of everything we just talked about how moving from the 60s into the 70s and how the 70s would become a decade of exploitation and looking at the the underbelly of the world and everything would get more edgier and more extreme because we were coming in and out of 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 losing wars that we should have maybe have never been in depending on what side you're on and the world was changing this the 70s is is a decade worth like i don't think there was a I, a lot of people like to cite the 60s as the big change after the 40s but to me the 70s is where the big change happened we had a much drastic shift in the tone of america and it was no longer the the um, the classic americana feel that people think about when they think about like the 50s I'll be honest with you. The one thing that I can say about the entire 20th century is that every decade had a had a fairly significant shift. If you um, really think about it, if you, and I'm not talking about in cinema, I mean just in general. If you really start thinking about it, you know, early on you had the Depression, you had all that, and you just keep going decade by decade, and every one of them had a significant shift for whatever reason it was. Yeah. World War One, World War Two, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, I mean, it was just us go, us landing on the moon, you know, everything involved in that. I mean, it was just one thing after another, just bam, bam, mm-hmm. bam. And it all in, ends up evening out by every decade. Yeah. Have you guys read Hearts in Atlantis by Stephen King? I have not. Nope. That That's one of my favorite, uh, my, fa- my favorite books from him, but it, it's two novellas and three short stories. And in the eponymous novella, Hearts in Atlantis, it's about the, the struggle – of these college youths who are, they got a choice, stay in school. If we don't make the grade, we're going to get shipped off to Vietnam, you know, cause it's going up, it's going down. And 
later when these characters in this novella are older and kind of looking back on that time, you know, yes, there was an idealism, but I think, you know, because it, it speaks to what you said about the 70s being kind of a, a, maybe even a more a stronger change in kind of affairs in America at the time because there was this idea that in the 60s, with the flower power, with the peace movement, the anti-war protests, we can change things. We can do this. We can shift everything from here on out. And I think the regret that they realized in the 70s as these was that it didn't quite happen the way they thought. You know, like, the, you know, we had corporate America still rising like it was doing in the 60s at the same time the hippies were doing their thing. And it just kept rising. And these same people who were probably hippies in the 60s were probably business owners in the 80s, you know, and wearing suits and ties. I don't know. But yeah, so when you, when you talk about that, you know, even Stephen King, who was the first author of the television generation, the first horror author of the or first popular horror author of the television generation, he's even talking about, shoot, we had a chance in the 60s and we missed it. And then you get something like this movie that, you know, if you if you want to give it that much credit, you can say this is the the spirit of where things started going. Yeah. You know, at least Almost to the like 80s. the crumble of idealism. Yeah. A little bit. Because yeah. in the 60s, it was a lot of people who just if you believe enough in the idea, you can make change. And, and that's not the case. That's never been the case. Uh, no matter how much you want something to happen, no matter how much you believe in it, and sometimes no matter how much hard work you put into it, the thing about dreams is, is that uh, the majority have to fail their dreams so that the minority can reach their dreams and be successful in it to keep that chase going. The, that That's the sad part about it is, Whatever dream I had as a child, I was set up to fail that dream to make someone else's dream seem that much more important. And, and that's what you have here. You have the, the 60s of these people who is a, that believe you can just change something. And it's kind of we're kind of in that same position now in the world as we were in the 60s where people think if you just – want it enough it'll happen but it's just not the case and that dreams have to die to make other dreams happen and that's wow that's my depressing moment of 2017 <laughs> um so the next day early the next morning how do y'all feel about this uh this song that starts up while they're driving. This, uh, this, uh, yeah. How do you feel about that? Oh man, early Smokey and the Bandit. Okay, okay. Because y'all are both uh, musicians. Do, that do was you... what it, that was initially what it reminded me of. I mean, it's. I mean, you've got, you've got this. Basically, in itself, it's a commentary on on them. You know, a literal commentary on them. Yeah, because the lyrics yeah. are about them. You're right. It's a literal commentary on them. And the first thing that came to my mind is I was just like, "Eastbound and down, loaded up and trucking." <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> I don't like the to- I like the lyrics, but I don't like the tone of the song because it just it makes me rem- it reminds me of the goofy cops that are about to come up. And the Benny Hill music that's going to follow them around. Oh, I had um, something well, in my notes to mention Benny Hill music. Ah, you, you, you beat yes. me to it. Because I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about the music when we get to uh, atmosphere. So I'll reserve my statements about that for, for a little bit later in the review. Yeah, but I, the interesting thing, and I, I, I didn't realize this. I don't know how I never noticed this until today. 
uh, or the other day when I was taking my notes. Um, but David Hess, who plays Krug, did the music for this entire movie. He wrote yep, yep. this song. He wrote the the uh, and the road leads to nowhere song, which I thought was like a legit. So like I'm looking at a picture of Watson right now where he's wearing a Led Zeppelin shirt, and I could have and oh. I thought this song was done by by one of those bands. It sounds like a Led Zeppelin uh, song. It sounds like something that would be on like Led Zeppelin uh, two or something. And totally. and it's and I didn't real and I thought like I I knew the guy Krug did like like he wrote some of the music for them. I didn't realize he had wrote that song and he had wrote the the Sadie and Krug song. And did all this, and that's fucking great to know that he did that. And I could, and I don't even like most '60s, '70s, '80s music, but I will say the the road leads to nowhere song fits this movie so well. It's not even funny. Oh yeah, it's a great song. Both are are good songs. I, I actually was humming that Sadie and Krug song all day long today, and yeah, I, I'll have more to say about that later. Yeah. <laughs> um. So anyway. Uh, we had the parents calling the cops because the, their kid never showed back up. And I love how this movie will constantly go to the tranquility of this pond, of yes. this, this, this water with the ducks. And it plays this, this very calm, uplifting uh, music. Uh, the movie really does try to comfort us between shots of Krug and the crew and... We it's and sometimes we need that, and I wish they would have stuck with doing it that way instead of interjecting the police. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I great. actually have it in my notes that I wish the police were not in it, except for very little. You know, like uh, just to be there for, yeah. um, you know, I, for those instances where there, the parents have to talk to the police. There are literally three scenes in this entire movie that require the police, and that's it. All the other ones right. could be completely done away with, and those three scenes that we do have them on are very, very small and minor. Um, yeah, like the like that whole that whole thing where they're riding down the road and they run out of gas and they and they, and they go up to the lady with the chickens and all the rest of that. I'm sorry. I mean, I, to me, that was comedic relief that did not need to be there, and I did not like it at all. And and I feel like it's, that was just lazy writing. Well, I can't have the police show up yet, so. Let's have them break down and, and just seem like where they're playing checkers and there's like and the sheriff is like, sometimes I wish I could be somewhere else. And the guy responds with, um, oh, what, like a duck? The fuck are you? Who even replies like that? Who do, like Kenneth is just like, man, I wish I was someone else. Today. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like, <laughs> how the fuck Ryan? does any of that make sense like that? Like, I, I don't know. What and the because the yeah. literally the only interesting is uh, the deputy was originally supposed to play Krug, but he didn't want to yep. play Krug. He wanted to play a, a more a more comedic character, and then he called his his girlfriend's uh what I'm sorry his sister's boyfriend and said, hey come try out for this movie, and it was a David Hess. So yeah, man. one good thing the police did is get David Hess involved in this. Um, and then the deputy went on to be, you know, Cobra Cops and say Karate Kid. Yeah, yeah, son. Um, <laughs> so I really like uh, the the part where the playful building music as it's showing the water start rushing. It actually started building my anxiety a little bit because I knew it was leading me back to Krug and the crew. Like 
I, it was starting to change uh, these tranquil shots, this tranquil, uh, these shots of tranquility into something far less innocent and more disturbing. It's leading you that way, um, which is very important coming up. Um, and we and here we get a shot of Weasel trying to talk to Krug while he's uh, banging Sadie, which is <laughs> hilarious. But the, yep. the interesting part here is I want to bring up with Weasel in this scene. This scene is all about Weasel, and there's two things you'll notice about this scene. One, you'll notice, oh, Weasel is now wearing a suit. No one else is wearing a suit yet, but Weasel is already wearing a suit. And two, the topic he's bringing up is what do you think the sex crime of the century is? You can tell from this scene that Weasel wants to, he wants to become famous. He wants to be known even if it's for something completely despicable. He holds himself to a high standard. He wears suits. His hair is well done and combed back. He's, he's actually very suave and intelligent. He corrects Sadie earlier when she calls them uh, chauvinistic dogs. And he's like, it's chauvinistic pigs. Pig, yep. Um, and this is very important because while he's, this is why you can tell he sees himself as an equal to Krug, even if he is playing second fiddle to Krug. Um, and, and I think that's very important. Did y'all catch on to any of that? Yeah, I, I definitely did. I liked that whole conversation about the work, worst sex crime ever uh, of the, you know, of the century type thing. You know, the, I like how Sadie. Because uh, she also shows a little bit of depth that we glimpse earlier when she's talking about the feminism going on of the day, you know, the second wave fem- feminism happening in the 70s. And, you know, she she's not quite uh, in on it per se because, I don't know, maybe product of her environment. We, we don't really know much. But then she starts talking about Freudian psychology, essentially saying that. Freudian sexual imagery has ruined everything. She calls him Frude. And uh, remember when she, she's like, uh, do you remember when a telephone pole was just a telephone pole? Not anymore. It's a giant. And she calls it a pahalus instead of a phallus. Yeah. So, you know, she has, she's like read it. She's sort of like, oh, that phallus means penis. I, I, I get it. I don't know how to say it. You know, it's like that. she just has the concepts, but not like anything further than that entry level stuff. And I like, she's like, I can't even look at the Grand Canyon anymore without crossing my legs. So, but I love what you said about Weasel. That's fantastic. I don't. I didn't pick up on that honestly. I picked up on a little more of Sadie's attempted depth, but I didn't catch. Uh, I didn't catch Fred's or Weasel's. So that, that's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. And Kenneth, did you pick yeah, up on it? I actually did. I picked up on both of them. I mean, in, in that particular scene, you can definitely see the depth in both of them. And both of y'all brought up the reasons for. I like the fact that you 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 know you uh, you. Sadie knows what she's talking about. She just, she just can't get the, the little stuff about it. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the like you were talking about watching the the uh, the pronunciations. Yeah, she didn't get hayless. those right. But yeah, I, dude, I cracked up. It's me but, too. <laughs> but uh, you know, but the thing about it was is she still knew. She was understanding. You know the 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 extreme. Uh, move towards uh, sexuality and and everything that was pretty much in Freud's uh, Freud's ideas on psychology, which which to this day are amusing to me. And then you've got the other side of it where you've got uh, you got Weasel over there, and you can definitely tell he wants to be the badass, 
And the crazy thing about it is, is there's not really a lot of intelligent depth, in my opinion, to Krug, but Krug is the badass. Yeah. And I think that, and I think that's the thing about it with him, you know, you've got the offset of, you know, you've got the intelligence with Weasel, you've got the want to be intelligent with Sadie, and then you've got, okay, I'm the alpha male, I'm the badass, I don't need to be intelligent. Yeah, it's funny because you actually look at it and you have, you have Krug very much just living in the moment, you have Weasel looking towards the future and you have Sadie who is kind of the past because she is the 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 fantasy of the 60s still embodied where you where she is very much she she thinks she knows what's going on but she really doesn't she's still very naive about the real darkness and it's it and it shows because she's sitting there talking about I have to cross my leg when I think about the Crane Canyon while she has a dick in her going down the fucking road Oh, I was busting up at that. Yes. I, Krug was busting too. <laughs> and that's the crazy thing about it. And I, I think you put that, I think you hit the nail on the head with that, man. Because it's almost like, you know, there, you can see the future with Weasel and Krug. You can see the future and Sadie's running trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and uh, to, to go ahead and move us forward, uh, what the fuck is, why is the cop eating the fucking birthday cake? Why would you give the birthday cake to the sheriff? Like, would you not leave her birthday cake alone in case she showed up or she shows up and you're just like, sorry, the sheriff ate your fucking birthday cake? <laughs> well, they probably didn't want it to go to waste because if I'm not mistaken, in that period in time in the 70s, they didn't have nearly as many pre- preservatives that cause cancer in foods like we have now. And then also uh, the ability to keep things cool and fresh wasn't quite where it is like it is now hmm. I, I guess i'll i'll do i'll do that i'll, I'll accept that but uh that scene is it, the cop scene there is kind of unnecessary it is literally just the cop being there talking about it and it just leads to something else um so as as we go back to krug we see that the car is broken down and krug is giving shit to junior and this scene rubs me the wrong way not it's not not that it's a bad scene but Krug is being so hard on Junior for not knowing anything when it's so obvious that he hasn't done a damn thing to help raise him or teach him anything. Krug is over here like, oh, when I was 15, I could fix any car. Okay, do you no longer have that knowledge uh, that you did when you were 15? Fix the fucking car. That's in my notes, yeah. (laughs) Like, like, seriously. But at the same time, I mean, come on, dude. He didn't know what the oil dipstick was. He's a junkie. His dad got him hooked on heroin when he was like fucking probably little Watts age. You know, like Watson can't get his son hooked on Twinkies and then expect him to run a marathon when he's 20. That doesn't happen. Gotta get him at an early age. Yeah. I mean, and and that's Weasel for you right there. Weasel be getting them at an early age too. Oh, Um, that's true. So I just think that's very interesting. It always rubs me the wrong way. Uh, just cause I'm like, come on, man. But they break down right in front of, uh, Mary's house and, and, uh, they end up going in the woods and, uh, the cops leave and they see the car and instead of checking out this car that is stopped right in front of the house of a missing person, they go on. Yep. And I'm sitting there the whole time, like you can't give up five minutes to just take a look at this car i'm sure you would have found something that shouldn't be there and you would have called people and go search those woods but you know 
we got to move the story forward so the cops have to be idiots. Yeah, yeah. So and I've uh, actually got it in my notes of uh, how terrifying that would be to uh, know that you you know whatever you're going to go through or whatever you're going to have to deal with in the next few minutes or the next couple of hours, however long it's going to be going on in your head, you're literally right across the street from salvation. Oh my God, you're right. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. You were literally in your backyard about to experience something with the these fucking uh, uh, deviant people right outside your 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 bedroom. And see, that's you know uh, jumping a little bit ahead, and and we'll talk about it a little more when we get there. But I think that is the 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 reason for you know how they did Mary's end. Yeah. So. With them going in the woods, you pretty much have... I, this is the point where I go, that's the end of Act 1. Act 2 starts in the woods with Krug telling Weasel to cut Mary if Phyllis doesn't do what he says. We have true terror setting in and... Definitely. You have Junior, and this is where Junior starts to obviously show that he's not cool with any of this. He doesn't want to be a part of any of, of this. Uh, we also start looking into Krug's, like, uh, how he want, how he has to show everyone that he has the power and how he has to, to push this on him, uh, on people. Because the first thing he wants Phyllis to do is to piss herself. And that is something you do to show that you're powerful enough to 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 push that kind of humiliation on someone. Um, now, Watson, you have a, a background in, in the studies of people's mental states. Uh, yeah. What, what is, with Krug doing something like this, do you feel like he has, like, really big insecurities and he's overcompensating or what? You know, this this is a good point, and I, I, I'm of two minds about this because what you just said makes some sense. And but right here, you know, in the film, we have this shift where everything we've seen has occurred off screen. And now Craven's direction is shining as we're he's switching it up to allow the camera to spare us nothing. So even this scene right here where Krug tells her like, hey, like, I'm going to cut her if you don't piss yourself. This is dehumanization going on. And we do find a little bit later, only a few minutes from this scene, that there is a very peculiar human side to Krug. And so if you dehumanize your your target, your victim, you know, it, it sort of makes you a little less a little less culpable, ma- makes you a little less responsible because I'm I'm just yeah, it's what I'm just I'm just uh killing this <laughs> just putting this little ant out of its misery. It's it's not a big deal. Yeah, she what? She pissed herself. She's an animal. It's not a human. Yeah. You're an animal. Plus you know? he he sees the two girls as high class cuz he doesn't know that Phyllis is from a a lower section. So he sees these two people as high class, and he wants to bring them down to his level. He is is the low-level uh, scum. He's from the lower class, and he wants to bring them down to his level so that he can rise up above them. Oh, and he expl- he, he, he clearly, like, uh, that's, that's a clear expression when he makes, right after, the, uh, after he makes her wet herself, he makes Phyllis hit Mary. Like he's like, oh, listen, I'm not even gonna touch you right now. Later, <laughs> I'll be doing that. But he makes Phyllis hit Mary. Yeah, to and, make and, them and, be yeah. just as brutal as they are. To, yep. To to show them and and Junior even 
and Junior is the, the low-class person with sympathy because he's had to deal with this his whole life, and now he's seeing it pushed on other people. And he even comes in, and he's like, will you just chill out? This is He calls him sick, and he just gets pushed aside, and he just does fucking uh, uh, nothing. Yeah, in my notes right here, I, I, it says, makes Phyllis hit Mary, dot, dot, dot. Junior say, ah, hell nah. Yeah, that's that's how I take my notes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think in this whole I think in this whole situation, man. I mean, you know, because if I'm not mistaken, right after that comes where Junior's telling them to make make them make it with each other. Yeah. You know, and, and and you know, once the clothes come off and everything, you, I, I I like this part because you really see the strength in Phyllis to come through. I mean, at first, you know, you think she's going to be the the typical. Uh, the typical bad influence or whatever, but she actually comes out to be the stronger one and becomes the protector of the other girl. And I thought that was really, really cool because that, that, that mothering nurturing thing starts to come through and she's like, don't worry about it. It's just you and me here. Don't worry about it. There's nobody else here. And I thought that was an amazing thing to show for her to become the strength of the two of them. And even later, you know, when in the next part of it, when it really starts coming through, I mean, you can really see that in her, Yes, and, and you also have a point here where you go back to, to Mary talking about sex like it, it, like being on cotton, and now she has to endure the, yep. like, she feels like a woman for the first time, and now she's going to uh, endure the worst of a sick vision of what adult love is. Yeah. Um, it's very, like, like, this movie punches. It is... It it is up there and, and probably like uh, my top three movies that have ever like truly hit me in the gut, um, along with uh, uh, Cannibal from two thousand and six and uh, Boys Don't Cry. Uh, as just movies that hit you in the gut and make you and really get into you and disturb you. Um, but, I think I spit on your grave falls in there too. Uh, I spit on your grave does. But um, because of how I spit on your grave goes, how the ending goes, it doesn't it doesn't hit me as hard as Last House on the Left does. Um, while they're both rape revenge flicks, uh, looking at who gets to pull off the acts of revenge completely separates these two movies. Um, as to where you have basically in I Spit on Your Grave, she becomes a she gets up, dusts herself off, and commits her own acts of revenge against them and takes back everything to her. That doesn't happen in this movie. And it's it's bringing in the parents having to do this and having to... Let me get into that as we go on. Let's talk about stupid cops. Um, I'm just kidding. Fuck these cops. That scene is, stu- scene is stupid as shit. We don't need comic <laughs> relief. I don't know what the fuck they were doing and. Uh, so we go back to the pond playing happy music and, uh, Krug goes away and we have an interesting scene here where Phyllis convinces Weasel to let her put the clothes on. Now, Kenneth, do you see Weasel doing this as a sign of compassion? Maybe he's a bit more human or, or do you think this is like a sign of weakness that, that separates him from Krug? Like maybe he has a little bit more empathy how, how do you feel about this 
I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I thought about that a lot when I watched it. And I really couldn't, you know, most of the time you can gauge a person in a situation like that. But I really couldn't gauge Weasel for that to try to figure out what his motives were. I really don't know. Because, you know, there's a piece of me that thinks that, okay, he's letting his, letting her put her clothes back on because he's he's expecting the cat and mouse game. But then when when the cat and mouse game starts, he's like, oh, Krug's going to be so pissed at me, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, you know, you, you kind of go back and forth. I don't really see Weasel as being weak either. And the, uh, I don't I don't see it being that. And then with his. How can I put this? His you can put it in my mouth. <laughs> The that's actually kind of going into what I'm thinking here. The, his his <laughs> his need for the for the for lack of a better term, the sexual deviancy for that. It seems that he he wouldn't be the one to let her put her clothes back on. Sit there and be cold, bitch. You know what I'm saying? That seems like where it would go. But at the same time, that's kind of more of a crude sentiment. So it, at this point, I was very torn on exactly what kind of personality was coming out of Weasel when just for that one simple thing. Mm, okay, Watson, do you have an opinion on this? You know, I'm kind of with Mr. Greenwood on this. Uh, I, you know, I'm just not not sure I got a fair reading on it because on one hand, it's like, oh, well, I don't want Krug to be pissed at me. On the other hand, this guy is a sexual deviant who will do whatever to anyone. And so, I don't know, like, maybe if, if I had my choice to, like, if, hey, Watson, if you'd written that part and you had to give Weasel his character motivation, I guess I'd say something like, well, sure, go ahead, put your clothes back on. It's not going to matter much in a few minutes anyway. Sure, go ahead. Yeah. But even then, it's not quite, the, I don't know if the events in the film quite line up because when she runs off, he's chasing her down, too. And he has a, a pretty good hand in her fate. So, uh, phew, yeah, it, it's kind of hard to read. I, I don't know if I'd say weak writing, but maybe just – it would have been better if it maybe been Sadie maybe. Okay. I don't All know. Right. I don't know. What do you think? Here's, what do you think, Jerry? Here's what I think. At first, I thought it was going back to the, the child molestation thing, and he just had no real interest in, in, in sexualizing them. He just has <laughs> You're an too interest. old. He just has an interesting uh, interest of terrifying him, but there's something later on in the movie that kind of contradicts this. Uh, kind of. Because I still feel like maybe not, because if he's into molesting children, children uh, are not going to be able to, to, to suck your dick properly, so you still have to go elsewhere for sucking your dick. But he doesn't have any real interest in, in having sex with an adult, but even then he talks about being able to come five or six times for this lady... Maybe he likes the idea of of having sex with a mom because it's it's just kind of it's really it's more terrifying and more fucked up if he is having sex with the mother of the girl that he just helped torture, rape, and kill, and Damn. he gets, and he gets off on that. But even then, I wasn't so sure on it because there there there's questions about what his sexual sexuality actually is. And that actually made me go back and think about um, how he sees himself and how he wears a suit and how he talks about the crime of the century. And you can kind of tell he wants to be famous. And also, this made me think, well, if he's wearing a suit, maybe he does see himself as more high class. And him letting her put her clothes back on shows that he is more civilized than Krug. 
And that's where I'm at. I think the only reason he did it is because he sees himself as... He, he's kind of a very much like uh, Hannibal Lecter. He sees himself as, as high class, as very, very suave. And he let her put his clo- her clothes back on because he would do something like that as to where Kruku is uh, uh, much lower and doesn't have the same qualities as him would not do that. And oh, that that's is... fantastic, Jerry. That's fantastic because he is still, even while he sees himself this way as this this higher class criminal individual, he's still simultaneously scared of what Krug would say to that. And it's like, I, I wish they'd explored that a little more, maybe a resentment toward Krug, like you shouldn't be the one. I'm not saying they had to challenge each other openly, but that's that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I can I can subscribe to that, Jerry. I, I dig it. Yeah, because he knows he can't beat Krug um, physically. He would only be yeah. able to beat Krug with his, with his brain because that's what makes him better than Krug. But he, he, he he's still very del- disillusioned about himself and thinks of himself as, as a higher mental capacity than Krug when that might nece- not necessarily be true. We all know there's people who think they're really smart, and they talk like they think they're really smart. And you're like, motherfucker, you Googled that yesterday. Get out of here. <laughs> and that could be what we're having with Weasel. I mean, look, his name is Weasel. He 20 bucks says he does not like that name. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Plus, how high class can you be when you're a pedophile? Uh, yeah, well, maybe he sees himself as having a refined taste. There are these like people out <laughs> a there. Refined taste. Um, He's like, well, like wine selecting. He's like, well, I only like the. Some people like the older wines over I, eighteen. I prefer the younger wines. I prefer a a love that is so innocent and untampered with, um, and in that you get. And maybe he was molested as a child. A lot of people who were sure. molested as a child turn into. Mm-hmm child molesters that that is something that we do see a lot there's so much backstory here that we don't know and we have to make assumptions about but that's one of the things i like about it um this movie will make you think about these characters and, and it and it doesn't stop here a small decision to let her put on her clothes has turned into us probing the mental depth of this character so it's it's well very said. it's very interesting to me um, how how deep does the rabbit hole go? The weasel <laughs> hole sure. goes, Kenneth. Yeah, the weasel hole. Oh, uh, so, uh, of course, Phillips, Phillips, Phillips Seymour Hoffman. Uh, clickety clackety, <laughs> clickety clackety. Uh, oh, don't bring that shit here. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I'm forgot just about kidding. you. Uh, forgot about you. Uh, Phillips... He's the only one that won't jump on the witch train. <sighs> It's okay. I'll, I will. I love him still. I love him still. Um, whew, let me let me stay on topic here and not Kenneth go into like, the witch. Screw that. No. Okay. Clickety clack. Oh, okay. Phyllis runs away while Kruger's away, and Weasel has to go chase her down with Sadie and leaves Junior in charge of Mary. Perfect. Uh, and now we get to see Mary as she tries to play. To Junior's sympathies, because she can tell Junior does not want to be involved in any of this. In fact, Mary even puts her damn clothes back on without even asking. She just does it. Um, I noticed that, too, when when uh, when Weasel allowed Phyllis to put her clothes back on. Mary's just like, yeah, I'll 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 bite. I'll I'll try. 
was yeah. like, oh, okay. Well, she, yeah. But, but cool. then again, she doesn't even do it until after. It was after, yep. Yeah. She Phyllis runs away, and she's just left there with Mary. Oh, was, but, it, but, was it after Phyllis ran away? It was, huh? Yeah. Yes, because Phyllis tells her, hey, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to fucking run away. When I do, you need to get out of here. And that's what she does. She once again, like Kenneth says, plays the hero mother type to Mary. Yeah. Um, so Mary gets the clothes back on and she's she's talking and trying to play to his sympathy. She gives him a new name of Willow. And here <laughs> we get a, 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 a one of the funnest set of lines in this movie. And she goes, do you have a girlfriend? He goes, oh, yeah, lots of girlfriends just waiting to get me. And she goes, I don't think you do. And he goes, well, you're right. And... <laughs> <laughs> that is so well done. Um, and you can it actually is. tell because the guy who actually plays Junior actually has a, a background in comedy and would later go on to write in television. Um, oh. Yeah. Neat. So yeah. the the whole Willow thing isn't working. He doesn't need friends. He needs a fix. Now that is something Mary can play to because she tells him my dad's a doctor and he can get you methadone. And even so, as as scared as Junior is of Krug, eh, he needs his fix. Kenneth, you yeah, got something to say about this? Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, the the only thing I and I and I guess the only reason why I mean, other than for sake of the movie, that this didn't happen is because of Mary being you know the kind of you know the sweet girl that she is. But you know, it's one of those things where I was just like, how come she just didn't kick him in the balls and run? You know, her 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 house is literally across the street, and the only thing that's standing in between her and her house after she kicks him in the balls is the possibility of running into Krug. But at that point, I would imagine that she would know that area so well that she probably could avoid Krug to a point. So it's like, that was the, that was probably one of my biggest dislikes in this movie was that, that scene right there. Okay. I mean, she's really... She's spending all this time, you know, giving him that, giving him the Willow name and all that. You know what I'm saying? But I, I get what you're saying, but her kicking him in the balls would not work for her character because her character set up as the love child. So it is more expected of her to, to give like a love speech to try to use the nice words and kindness to convince him. And she learns that that doesn't work. Which is another sign of the death of the flower child, and she has to. Right. People now, smile so, on your brother. Yeah, with that, with that <laughs> statement, does that kind of help you? Maybe well, that's the reason. Less dislike. Yeah, well, that's the reason I made the point when I said it that you know it goes against her character because she's supposed to be the sweet one, but yeah, you know, it still kind of sucks. But you think you in, a, in a in a moment like this that you have to go to the extremes, you have to step up, and you have to do that. And because she didn't do that, because she wasn't as strong as, like, say, Phyllis, you didn't like that. She didn't step up to be what she could have in that scene to survive. She didn't have that survival instinct. Exactly. You know, that's the reason why Shane was my favorite character in The Walking Dead. And you probably won't get that, but I know Watson will. <laughs> I yeah, don't, because yeah, well, well, that show well, see, sucks. See, Kenneth, Kenneth, we're Silent Hill bikers. We're men of the world. We... We drink hard alcohol and ride our motorcycles off into the sunset. Like, poor, poor Mary, she'll never know what uh, what our lives are like. So, 
<laughs> you know, but I mean, she's so sweet and innocent and I get that, yeah. you know, but at the same time, I mean, it's like yeah. if it were me in that situation, even when I was a teenager, if it were me in that situation, my house was right there. I, I'm sorry. I would have went to a little bit more of an extreme length to get to my house. Well, you know, what's funny but, about this part about the house being right there is like, you know, she's just like, oh, my dad can get methadone you know, or he can get you get you your fix. And, you know, Junior's like Junior's like, well, shoot, if only your house were near here. <laughs> right yeah yeah i mean if only so, yeah and it's like that whole setup and then she tells him you know she tells him that it's that her house it's is over there. there yeah yeah right and i mean so that whole setup right there was just kind of like I, I don't know i just didn't dig it but whatever yeah fair fa- I don't, fair enough yeah. yeah i feel that um we have another stupid scene with the cops playing checkers and this one at least has some kind of importance because they learned that the car they saw earlier Jeez. Is the car that the escaped criminals are in? Do, do, do. Um, anyway, we go back. Sadie catches Phyllis, but uh, Sadie took a rock to the head. And uh, the chase continues. Phyllis arrives at this this graveyard, and we get our first, like, kind of uh, jump scare. As, jump scare, yes. Yes, as Krug shows up with a machete and stops her uh, Wait, right where she Jerry. can see the road. Jerry, did you feel like she blew the hell out of that lead? Uh, like, wow, man, she was across the river. It's like, I, I don't know, man. I was like, shoot, is this like, and, and my team is the Seahawks, so I'm not hating, but I'm just like, you know, Seahawks did that in the Super Bowl one time. Just like, I don't know. But, yeah, I don't know. She blew that lead. And just I was like, like, how uh, did she get back across? Yeah, that, that's well, I, my issue it here was, is, is yeah. I don't understand the layout here, and I try Setting to just go – Maybe she doesn't understand the layout either, but like the layout sure, of the head, sure. she made it back. Oh, she made it over the river. Then she comes back to the other side or runs into Krug when he was heading to the road. Yeah, it was I, weird. I, I, I didn't get a good sense of that either, but that graveyard in the woods, how cool would that be to be? Oh, oh not in their situation, but if you're chilling like you and you like Kenneth, you know, like Kenneth and me are like and, and Jerry because you're on the back of my motorcycle or Kenneth, whoever you choose that day. We're riding our motorcycles through the woods. It's like, bow, and then all of a sudden, whoa, graveyard in the woods. And Kenneth like Silent Hill, buody, let's stop. And yeah. then there's a graveyard in the woods. See, guys, all three of us get off. We have the a crazy picnic. thing about that is the crazy <laughs> thing about that is is where I grew up when I was a kid. You actually could walk back in the woods, and there was like four graves back there, like full stones, what? like slabs laid on the ground. Like you had the headstones that stick up, and then like the full mausoleum slabs on the ground, man, that had you oh. know the writing and whatever. It was crazy, but it was back there. And then uh, when I was like in my late teens, this family came and asked us if there were graves back there. And I guess they had him exhumed or something. But when I was growing up, you could you could go walk in the woods and go hang out at graves in the woods. Man, Kenneth, how old are you? I will be thirty four this year. All right, okay, we're two years apart. Jerry, are how old are you? I am twenty eight. Twenty eight. So none of us were were born when this movie came out. So wait, so so Jerry, you were speaking to how Phyllis gets to within eyesight or at least earsight or earsight that's not a word earsight uh within hearing distance of the road and then that's when krug comes out somehow um so yeah yeah keep going you, and, you were on and, a roll before yeah. i totally went on the silent hill biking <laughs> trip yeah hey that's fine because yeah, everyone I, now I've had knows so much whiskey everyone now knows that i've got i i got so many bitches i can make a choice uh which I motorcycle i ride on the back on which y'all oh, know, i know about i know that. Oh, uh i know so anyway um, uh, you're gonna ride on the gas tank in my front, sweetie. 
Well, you know, Satan is my motor. So nice. Uh, anyway, so unfortunately, uh, Phyllis gets stabbed in the back by Weasel, and Weasel is looking very intense as he stabs the shit out of her, and Crew is looking happy. But you know, what we need in this movie right now is bumfuck cops to strike again. They're out of gas. No one gives a shit. Let's keep on going. I find it interesting that Weasel wears a suit. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So, Zadie killing, twists the knife. Yeah. The killing of Phyllis is, is very sad and shocking. And, and now, what was already real just became fucking realer. Like, this scene of her getting killed and, and, there, and Sadie playing with the intestines. Kenneth remembers me talking about this scene when, when we talked about this movie and how... I was just like, because there's an edited version of this movie where they kind of take out the scene. I had a, I had a, a copy of the movie that had where you did not have her playing with the intestines. I think the, the, I might have watched that. Um, I, I don't remember a scene where that happens. Yes. Yeah. When I when I watched the one that I rented on Amazon because uh-huh. some lowly fucker stole my DVD. Uh, um, Jerry. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm a Blu-ray. I mean, guy. no, no, no. I was saying, I was saying, hey, what's up, Jerry? Oh, uh, that's all I was saying. Sorry, way, Kenneth. Yeah, but the one I rented on Amazon because they don't have it on Voodoo. I rented it on Amazon. It had the gut scene in it. Yeah, but there, I swear to you, there is a version out there where they do not show Sadie playing with the intestines. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I don't remember. Yeah. So now the real trauma is setting in as they go back to Mary and they tell her Phyllis is dead. And they show her the severed arm. And then Krug cards his name in Mary's chest. And now we have the rape scene. And an interesting thing about this rape scene is they only had one camera. So they shot the entire rape scene three full times. Each from a different camera angle. And the actress who played Mary. She was like uh, frightened. Wasn't she? Like she does such a good job in this, but there was actually a take that got ruined because Krug was was the guy, David Hess was playing Krug was going into it and he kind of looked at and he was just like I was grabbing her tits and I was I was drooling on her and oh. I was really going at it and then I kind of looked up at Craven and I was like, can I do it? And uh, she flipped the fuck out. Um, oh there God. are actually tales of her. Where she, it's actually funny during all the special features, you never see the actress that plays her come back to talk about anything, because apparently that. Yeah. she was scared through this entire movie. She was not having it. Um, but this rape scene, Jerry, Jerry, wait a second, Jerry, wait. Do what? you? What do you think about that? What do you think about the fact that she was that she was so scared? Do you find that like a testament to the frightening aspects of the film, or should Craven have maybe been like, okay, homie, listen? Here's how here's how things are gonna go, and of course you said that Craven wasn't quite sure what it's, to do yet. It's because, what do you think about that? Well, it's because Cra- Craven in this part is as guilty as Kubrick in The Shining. He this well is, said. Th- thank this, you. This is him because there's another scene uh, where there's a scene that she's doing, uh, and I can't remember what scene it is, but it does involve Junior. The actor who plays Junior walks her over to the cliff and tells her. If she does not get this scene right, he is going to throw her over the cliff. Cliff. 
<clears throat> the oh. cliff while the what? camera is rolling and no one will care because the footage will be great. She'll only get hurt a little bit and they'll just call an ambulance. And because she kept fucking up the scene and she nails it the next time. But, oh, um, wait. and there's also tales of the guy who played Weasel also, uh, d- doing a, a similar thing, but not as bad because he actually knew her and was like, Hey, you really need to get into it. But she, um, there were a lot of times in this movie where she was actually really, really scared and very frightened and, and props to her for making it through it. But in my opinion, Wes Craven is guilty and Sean Cunningham is guilty for <laughs> Sean Cunningham. not stepping in and not uh, uh, reassuring her and taking care of her. I, I understand that you're the that at least in this part, I can say, well, Wes Craven was ignorant. It wasn't like Alfred Hitchcock or it wasn't like uh, Kubrick where they did shit intentionally without giving a, a, a fuck how it affected the actor. Sure, he's a first timer. He's yes. not sure. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so I can, so I can I, yeah. give him a little bit. Of leeway, I won't give him as bad as as uh, Hitchcock in Psycho or Kubrick in The Shining, but he is definitely yeah. there. There, that is something he should have stepped in and done, and he didn't. Yeah, nice. So, so I threw us off here. So you were about to basically get into Krug's the rape scene. Rape. Um, yeah, right, right there. Yeah, keep going. Krug buddy. rapes her, and uh, this shows you another weird side of of Sadie because she helps. She's into it. Um, in fact, y- y- she is the biggest one helping him rape her, um, which is very interesting because uh, you kind of think that, you know, that's her man. But apparently it's not. Uh, I, I, it's It makes you wonder about the dynamic between them. But the the just placid look on Mary's face as she is getting raped and getting drooled on. And in her head, you have to be wondering if she's thinking about Cotton. If she, what is she thinking about to get her through this? Because like literally, right after is done, she gets up without saying a word. She puts on oh, her man. clothes. She is no yeah. longer scared of them. She just starts walking. And, what a and, scene! And this reaction that she that she has to this then goes into my favorite scene in this movie as Krug and Sadie. And Weasel all look at each other in their hands and their blood. And for a split second, you can see them as as humans who understand empathy and understand what they've done to this person. They didn't kill her. It wasn't them just killing her. They they have taken her innocence. They have ruined her. They, they say that uh, death is so final as to where life has a chance, but... In an instant like this, it almost feels like with that rape, they ruined any chance. They broke her mind, and they know that. And and they're wiping the grass and the they're wiping their blood off on the grass and picking grass off of themselves and looking at each other. And Krug, especially the look on his face. Oh man, it's so good. We're gonna have a lot to say when we get to the best scene, worst scene things. Because I'm gonna echo a lot of your sentiments that you've already said, even though it's in my notes and you beat me to the punch, you bastard. Well, I mean, I wrote into your show about this scene, so... You did, you did, you rocked, man. You should have seen that one coming. Um, uh, I did, I did, you wrote about it. So, yep. uh, Gosh, but, so well said. But Krug, in a split second, goes, just just kicks out of it. And, and he does this again later on in my second favorite scene in the movie. Um, 
he kicks out of it and he they all follow her down as she walks into the water almost like as if she's going in the water to baptize herself in this 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 pond that's always been behind her house uh, she's going to go back to the olden days and baptize herself so that she can be born again like nothing of this happens. And there's this music playing and then Krug shoots her. The music stops and all you have to hold you Ooh. is the sound of nature. Jerry, that was in my notes and you captured it so perfectly, my friend. <sighs> Holy crap. My man, that's a mic drop moment right there. Anyway, that's Kill the Cast, everybody, episode. So, <laughs> with that being said, let's go into y'all's feelings. Uh, Watson, I'll let you, you go on this one. What, sure, what are sure. your feelings with this this entire scene? Oh, my gosh. Well, again, uh, just like I've said earlier in uh, about a different scene, I will be talking about this uh, in the format. Uh, everybody, you know, for you listeners, you know, Jerry was kind enough to help me out with the structure of their show uh, of Kill the Cast and was like, hey, here's kind of how we try to structure, you know, so, sort of our reviews here. And there's a point in it that's best and worst scene. Well, you've, you've hit my best, my favorite scene of the film. And so I'm going to reserve those comments because I'll have to scroll down a ton uh, <laughs> to yeah. find my notes on that. So I'm just going, I'm just going to say your, your sentiments are... 100% everything I was thinking and you'll hear that in my own words later on but gosh well spoken gosh my friend that's All why right. that's why you got that's why you and Kenneth do this rock Kenneth, and roll do you what, what do you got to add to this I think that at that point after the rape was over and for Mary partially in the middle of it I think at that point even though you can see the looks, how disgusted that all three of them are with themselves for what they had done, they had all accepted their fate. You know, all three of them had accepted what they're about to do and what they had done. Mary has accepted what had been done to her, and she knows what is about to happen. She knows at this point that they're not going to let her go. They've already put her through the worst physical while she's alive by taking her innocence away from her that she knows in the back of her head or in the front of her head, she knows that the next step is she's going to die. Her friend's already dead. She's about to. So she, and that goes back into what I was saying earlier about her knowing the place. This is a place that she knows that's beautiful and she's just going to, she's going to stroll into it and she knows that it's coming and she wants to be someplace where she, you know, sees as being beautiful and, that's it. And the same thing with them. They know that the, what they're about to do, they know that they need to do it. They probably feel a little bit bad about it, but it's not going to change the fact that they're going to save themselves. So they accepted the fate of what they got to do. And that's, and to me, that's the reason why it's not all, you know, hustle and bustle like it was with Phyllis's death. It's straightforward and to the point because they know what they got to do and nothing's going to change it. Yeah, Matt. I gotta say, listening to to you, I've always heard myself talk about this scene, so I'm used to it. Listening to 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 you add to it, just like made me realize how how haunting everyone accepting their fate is in this scene. It's man, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm kind of depressed. Uh, fucking cops, I swear they're they're back. Uh, chicken lady time. The, the chicken lady time. I fucking hate this scene. Um, I hate this fucking him. Uh, listening to the ground and knowing there's a truck and chicken oh, I coming. I, what? In in her like, I just hate this scene. So fuck this scene. Does anyone have anything to say about this scene? 
This is the worst scene to go to after the moment we just had. Like, what the f- I understand that, y- that this is a, a very first-time thing for Wes Craven, writing this story and, and, and making this movie, but... Jesus fucking Christ, man. You don't go from a fucking devastating rape scene and ending of a of a precious life to cops falling off of a fucking truck because there's too, it's too many chickens. Yeah. Uh, like I told you before, when it comes to the cops, I think the cops shouldn't have been there, but I think the point of the cops was to make you feel a little less fucked up when the movie was over. Because, uh, you know me, there's been a few movies that I've talked about with you, Jerry, that make me just feel, when the credits are rolling, I'm literally fucking speechless. And I think this, the point of the cops is to make you feel a little less of that. But unfortunately, I think that takes away from the movie. Yeah, it, it, it does not fucking work. Um, but what does work is the crew is back to making jokes. They're cleaning themselves off. They're putting on new clothes. Um, and as they wash the blood off of themselves into this pond, we will never get another shot of the pond representing tranquility for us now knowing what has happened in these waters. Well said. Um, the, the slow panning camera shot with the odd, slow, eerie, sad music ends our act two. And uh, we go into uh, if act w- two is alien act three is aliens we go into the finale um uh they 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 show back up they they show up to the house the kruger company shows up to the house and to get help and uh they end up staying there they cut the cord to the cops uh which I need to go back and watch this movie and pay attention to the phone throughout here because I swear there's times when the phone doesn't work and does work, and I'm not 100. That's what he was sure. saying. Yeah, that's that's what he was saying, Jerry. At first, the phone wasn't working. I think then it was, and I mean, I, I'm guessing Krug and company weren't really trying to take that chance. And I do love Krug's line when they find when they do find out uh, which house this is and whose house it is. I wonder what the odds are in that, says Krug. Yeah, and and it's kind of funny uh, how how trusting uh, Doc and his and his wife are oh, letting right. people in because I don't feel like people would do this at all anymore. I can see people doing it in the seventies. Well, I, I said that same thing to my girl. I was like, because like sometimes this little kid that lives in the apartment like across from us will knock on my door, and I I once opened a door to a gun in my face from a uh, from a cop who like got the apartment wrong like years back when I was like nineteen. So now since then, like I don't really like to open doors that much anymore. I order a pizza. Well, not these days because you can't. I can't mess with carbs that much. But like I order pizza, and I know okay, pizza's here, and all of a sudden. I'm like, uh, <laughs> Lil Watt, get the door. You make your Lil Watt. <laughs> hey, you know what? If, if 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 the gun happens on him, I got time to bust my knife out and just, or or my that that Glock or not Glock that Smith and Wesson I got to pick up and just bust bust gangsters out. I don't I don't know. Oh, anyways, God. anyways, I don't know how we got on that because this second glass of whiskey, gen- gentlemen, was a lot stronger than the first. But so, yeah, I mean the odds are, yeah, Krug's like, oh, yes. I don't know what the odds are in that. So then. Jerry, where does it go from here? It goes to the dinner scene, right? Yes, we now have the low end invading the high end. These criminals are are now in the in a house that was once a place of moral value. 
and we have this dinner scene where the Krug and company are having a hard time maintaining themselves. And they the, are. <laughs> the withdrawals are kicking in for Junior. Um, oh, gosh. That spaghetti looked good, though. Didn't it, though? Like, I can't eat carbs that much, so I got to be careful. Are you but a that health black, nut? Okay. No, 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 I'm not a health nut. I'm just like, I'm an unhealth nut, so I have to be a, a healthish. I'm drinking like two glasses of straight whiskey. Like, I'm not a health nut. My heart is like, don't do this to yourself. And I'm like, shut up. But that black background during the dinner, that kind of threw me for a loop. It wasn't the room itself. For whatever reason, they removed the background. I, I'm not sure what the stylistic, uh, what what the stylistic stylistic directional decision was there? What what do you guys think about that? Because we're seeing this dinner scene, and we know the people who've just lost their daughter and her friend in the worst of ways are now sitting here with the people who did it. No one knows yet. Oh wait, no wait. wait do do Krug and crew know yet? I don't think they do, or they're about to find um, out. Do they? I, I, I think they're about to find out. I thought they. Found yeah, out. they're about to. They're about yeah, to because she shows them to their rooms after that. Yes, you're right. Yeah, it was yes. after that. And then, but we have this dinner scene. This it's this curious, like Charlie Rose black background. What did you guys think of that stylistic decision? Darkness is closing in. Hello, darkness, yeah. my old friend. My friend. Um, yeah. yeah, that's what I thought about it when I saw it. It Gosh. reminded me of two different things. It reminded me of that. You know what I'm saying? It made me think about the fact that darkness is closing in. They're bringing the darkness with them. And then the other thing reminded me of is like when you watch a play. And you see a play, man. The majority of the time, the, the the spotlight would be on the dinner table, and you can't see nothing but black behind them. I had that same thought, Kenneth. I I didn't even not the darkest part, but I didn't even realize it until I was watching it today with the commentary. And uh, Krug Weasel and Junior were actually talking about it and how they really liked it, how how it made the scene like because you there's nothing for you to look at in the background. You are focused. Only on the characters, their expressions, their body language, how they're talking, how they're eating. Um, they even show you specifically the plates to show you how they're eating. And they actually set up how um, Weasel actually eats a, a, a little bit uh, more respectful than like Krug does. He does? Um, yeah. This, this confirms everything you were saying about Weasel before. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's really small and technically um, it's really hard to tell because I had a hard time telling... Uh, when they were going to which plates, but if you watch the hands, you can kind of tell because Weasel's hands look completely different than like Krug's hands, obviously. Um, and it's just very interesting, but I, I really had only noticed, I didn't notice the background being black. I had only noticed that I was looking at everyone's body language and facial expressions and, and whose plates was who and how they're eating. And, and I didn't notice the black background. And I think that's wonderful because it did its job. It made me focus in on something else. And like I said, that's exactly like a, like the way they would do it in a play, is they want they would want you to focus on everything, so they'd put the spotlight on the dinner table and black out everything else. Yeah, I'm like sitting here nodding my head, Kenneth. Like I'm just like, uh huh. You guys can't see, but I'm just like, yes. Yeah. So, uh, Junior is having withdrawals because Krug, for whatever reason, will not give him any any dope, and he really just should have. Because if it wasn't, if he would just gave him some dope, he, everything would have been great. But no. He doesn't realize that heroin would have solved all of his problems. Um, <laughs> like it does for all of us. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because um, we're not talking fine China. I ain't talking about the wrestler. You know what I'm saying? Um, oh, God. So, uh, wow. have y'all ever looked at uh, her porn, by the way? 
no. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to see you that. Sh- dude, she she go she gets she uh in one of them she does a porn parody of like Marvel characters and she gets fucked in the ass while uh Well, you're not joking. There's really a No, she yeah, dude. as She-Hulk. She is dressed as She-Hulk and she gets she she has anal sex. It's as you can tell, oh. she's not used to anal sex. It's a, the scene is not good. Um, I'll skip that one. I thought um, it was great. I think you need to watch it. I think I think everyone needs to watch this piece oh of my cinema. God. Um. So anyway, uh, Estelle comes in there and to, to help him, and she sees the peace sign, and she then goes into one of the rooms where the the suitcase is, and she sees uh, all this clothing that's fucked up, and. I want to say it looks like it's it, like like it looks like um they try to almost make it look like it's it's the clothing of like one of the girls but it, it obviously not cuz both the girls had their clothes on when they died. Um it, it I is, didn't get that. Yeah. Yeah, did it not kind of look like like the clothes they were wearing like the pants looked like the kind that they the girls were wearing. But it, but it obviously can't be. Um, and even in one of the commentary tracks, they go, oh, yeah, and then she discovers her daughter's clothes. And I'm like, well, it can't be her clothes. She's wearing her clothes that she's dying in the fucking river. Um, <laughs> but whatever. Um, and what, we have a fine use of the Road Leads to Nowhere song here. It's so fitting as they go down and discover their, their dead child. Um, well, their child dying because she's dying right then. She, she dies in their arms. Um, and that... That that scene's heartbreaking. I don't know if y'all have anything to add to it, but it's just heartbreaking. Uh, Kenneth, you got anything yeah. to add to that? I do not. I agree with you. Okay, Watson, you on the same page? Oh, homie, I'm right there with you. All right, so The Dentist was a movie that came out in the 90s, and it took its inspiration from this movie because we have Weasel dreaming what? about the parents oh. putting a chisel to his teeth, <laughs> and he wakes up out of it uh, right when the, the hammer hits. And uh, he walks around the house and ends up running into Estelle as the doc is downstairs looking for a gun. And as Weasel tries to take Estelle to the couch, but Mary's body is there, she actually convinces us to go outside and things start getting a little hot and heavy as Doc pulls his his, uh, best Kevin from Home Alone thing and starts setting up traps. Um, They don't even have time to process the death of their child because they have revenge right in front of them and they have to do this they they i got a little something to add about the booby traps i've listened to in an interview do you know that was what gave uh west craven the idea to do the booby trap scene at the end of nightmare i figured that had to be the case yeah sure it was directly related I, i was gonna go with the joke of um of the doc's mouth isn't open enough to be setting these kind of traps but I figured I've, I've, I've shit on, on Heather enough. Oh, that's enough. funny. And that is funny. I've shit on Heather enough, so I went with the Home Alone joke. Um, <laughs> um, so he's setting up all this, all these traps. And, and the whole thing, the biggest thing I get out of the, these scenes is, is just not, they don't even get time to go into shock. They don't get time to process the death. They don't get time to mourn the death. Revenge is at hand, and they're taking it right there. Both of you have children. I ha- I have a cat, but if I saw the per- if I ran into the person who killed my cat, I-, I I would go directly into revenge mode, 
And I'm assuming you would, you two would be in hell. I'd even be with Kenneth because I'm, the, I'm the, the, the godfather of, of his child. I, and oh, I'd be, awesome. I'd be rolling with him, like, I, cause, cause, fuck that shit. That's my godchild, and it ruins my birthday for the rest of my life. Cause me and Jade are born what? on the same day. Me and Jade are born on the same day. We have the same. Oh, see, birthday. I knew you were. I knew you were, yeah, Godfather, but I didn't know that, yeah, that, that it was the same birthday. That's that's fantastic. Yes. Uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty awesome. Kenneth loves me so much, he made sure to impregnate someone so that it would line up on my birthday because he has that much yeah. uh, thought. Kenneth is a awesome? good friend. He's a good friend. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, that's, that's, that's my godchild, and I'd be rolling with him. And uh, even though, Watson, you let your son open the doors for you, um, I mean, but I always have a gun. Well, I will always have a gun trained on his back. I'll be like, drop. I'll be like, drop. I'll be like, drop down when I say the word, and then he'll just crumble like you know, like like a doll. And then I, I just start blasting. Especially if it's that stupid kid from the apartment across the way. Hate oh that kid. Oh my god. Oh my god. His parents don't even know I could steal him. They don't watch him. Like I could have a hole in my apartment floor under the bed. All right, Weasel. Anyway, okay. Hey, wait a Let's what? calm down, Weasel. My, my, okay. Hold on. I'm getting a call from Jared Fogle. He's saying, "Don't tell them." Oh. <laughs> don't. Don't tell them about the hole in the floor. Yeah. Oh okay. my god. Um. So. I can't. I can't express. I can't even express in words the atrocities that I would commit had somebody done this to my child. Oh, I would go on uh, the the fucking guy who does revenge on Odaisu and Old Boy. I would go oh. further than that. I, That's I, what I'm saying. I, I can't even express like, it. Uh, I would make yeah. the revenge and I spin on your grave look like a fucking child's play movie. Yeah, I have a lot of hand tools and stuff like that from my trade, and so and I know isolated places where I have like lock boxes to isolated houses out in the woods. Like it wouldn't be a very difficult thing, providing I could get the person there, and to be like, well, I'm going to use all these tools in some very wrong ways, and you're it's going to take a long time because killing somebody isn't that easy, but. You know, the humanist side of me says, oh, no, let the law have them. But then the actual part of me says, I got this. Fuck that. <laughs> I'm going straight up lesbian and someone is getting scissored with a power saw. <laughs> nice, nice. Fuck that noise. Oh, anyway, Weasel yeah. is convinced to be tied up. Uh, oh, my God. Because okay, okay. The, 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 his ego is just so uh, uh, rubbed the right way. And, and I got to say... It, in this scene, do y'all think it's her playing to his ego and he actually is falling for that because it makes him sound like, oh, yeah, your husband's not man enough, but I am. I, I don't know. Totally. Oh, it, God. It, it, it was completely straightforward. The, big, the But, you know, at the same time, I mean, you think about this and you think about the time period. You know, any of us would have enough common sense to not, you know, you ain't fucking tying me up. But back then... Oh yeah, I can totally see this happening. Oh yeah, and 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 then the zipper gets caught, and that just made me cringe because, oh my god, nothing hurts as bad. Like, I mean, things hurt as bad as that. But like when you get some some skin from down there caught in a zipper, oh my, oh I'm cringing thinking about it. Uh, yeah. And she's like, oh, do I just yank it down? No, bitch, no, you don't. Um. Anyway, how'd you get the beans above the frank? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> um. So we, we go to a, a cut scene where Doc is taking the gun 
uh, from Krug, and Krug actually wakes up, but he falls back asleep. Um, which I was just like, I don't even think you need Krug to wake up at this. You could have just, like, that scene could have been just him grabbing the gun. But whatever. Anyway, we go back to Estelle giving apparently the best blowjob he has ever had because he was going to come faster than Krug in the rape scene. It was like, <laughs> he's like, I can come six or eight times. And I'm like, oh, great. What? So that's what, 10 minutes? I, yeah. I, yeah. Um, and everyone knows that uh, in that scene, the actor puts a belt in her mouth. And that's how she makes that happen. What you might not know is that was the actor who plays Weasel's idea to do that. So, because he was like, it'll look fake if she's just shaking her head with nothing in her mouth. So, I'll put my belt through my pants and she can bite onto that. And and she actually bites the belt off and rips and actually destroys the belt and spits that into the water. And his only complaint there is he wished there would have been a scene of actually seeing something like hit in the water. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Yeah. So, wow. um, uh, yeah, so dick biting and there's, uh, and Kenneth, isn't it weird that the dick biting scene in Cannibal disturbs the shit out of me and this one doesn't? No, it's not weird at all because you actually see the dick getting bit off literally in Cannibal. That's you true. do? I've never seen that movie. Uh, wow. Not many people have. Not many people have, and we will be covering it at some point, but the problem is the, the I can't find a torrent or a download of it anywhere. Kenneth actually oh. has the DVD, but the DVD goes for, like, fucking $200. Um, so when I visit over the summer, because he lives in the same city as my dad, he's going to bring it over, and I'm going to make a copy of it. And then once I get that copy of it, I'm... Uh, we're, we're going to cover an episode on it because we agreed, even though I said I would never watch this movie again in my life because it so deeply disturbs me that it would make for a great episode. So I'm going to watch it again. And oh, heck yeah, I'm, I'm not looking forward to it. But when I get a copy of it, I will send it to you. Do not watch it near your child. Uh, don't watch it around anyone, honestly. Um... Uh, anyway, okay. I mean, it's it, it's one of the it's extreme. Yeah, you know, and it is it's actually not, based on it, true events. Yeah, and it's not like shock extreme like a Serbian <laughs> film. I mean, it's literally it'll it'll get to you. Yeah, oh, man. Unless you, unless you're my fiance because she doesn't see why why I'm so bothered by the movie. Well, I'm not your fiance, but it's not you, for a lack of trying. So I'll say you could be. <laughs> you play your cards right. We'll see what happens. Ooh, it's it's uh, legal okay. here in Washington. I got my no. wife, my bitch, and my girl. That's so you can line up and do it. She can be the wife. Uh, uh, you can uh, Kenneth can be my bitch, and you can be my girl. Or y'all can switch up. However y'all want to do it, it will make you. I guess it, damn it, that it, shit. It, if it you depends leave on me the... for Watson. I get Reese. No, no. Not, well, oh. actually, that's not that bad of a trade. Well, Wait, I mean, like Kenneth had you first. I can't just walk in here and. You know, baby, I, you I believe can walk in, a in wherever you want. I'm wide open. I am oh, like, I am like yeah. a, a Creed song, with with, but the goatsy version. So instead of arms wide oh. open, you get what I'm saying. For I, I if you I know. don't know what goatsy is, go ahead and Google that. You're welcome. Oh, I, I, I remember. Um. So anyway, uh, come on, Krug, you see the shit on the floor as you fall down and slip in it, and you still stand up and step right in it. Yeah, I that bothered the shit out of me. Um, Kevin McAllister was like, "Say what?" Yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's on. 
him and the Doc's got some hands. They start punching each other. And I really like this fight because it's not... Oh, like we talked about in the Creature from the Black Lagoon review, how back then it was like one hit and that's it. Or yeah. and, and, and nowadays it's always people like wrestling with each other as they slam each other into things. But there's like punches, there's kicks, there's knees, there's actual shit. Krug does a fucking karate chop. He karate yes. chops him. And, <laughs> and, and and the word words going on here is great because he's patronizing the doc about how much tougher Mary was than he is. Um, that's right yep yep okay let's let's get into another heavy scene i hope you guys are ready junior shows up and he shoots a gun to stop them and uh we krug tells him to shoot krug shoot me bring it on um and this scene is devastating some this is some father-son shit to the extreme he tells his son to blow his brains out, um, we have a shot coming uh, close to Krug's face as we hear Junior crying, and we hear, we actually hear the shot, and uh, Junior has killed himself. And Krug, while looking a tad bit sad, he quickly changes as he looks to the Doc, who has now grabbed a chainsaw. Um, this, I, I, I have uh, a slight history of of like father son issues. And this scene always gets to me as as it's a son who just never feels like he's going to be who he, he's never going to live up to his dad and his dad's like calling him out on the shit and his dad tells him to kill himself and he actually stops and thinks well that would be better than actually staying alive with my dad. Yeah. And and he does it and it's fucking devastating and anyone who has even the small cuz like my father Son issues aren't even that bad. Most of them are fixed now. I have a great relationship with my dad, but there was a time nice. in my life where I just fucking d- hated him because I, I, no matter how hard I tried, I look like him. I have the same mannerisms as him. I'm like a fucking new, a uh, uh, new slightly different version of him. And and Kenneth's been around us both. Kenneth, do I not not only look like him if I cut my hair, but like we use similar word patterns, we use similar hand gestures, all that kind of shit. Yeah, especially the older you've gotten. You know, the older you've gotten, the more you look like your dad. Yeah. You know. Well, uh, so, so your dad's I, sexy. Uh, yeah, I call him yeah. Clooney, actually, because he's got oh. he's got old man sexiness. Oh, I, You know, I and, the, and the thing about it is, is we all give Jerry's dad respect. You know, because me and him didn't get along very well when we first met each other. And uh-huh. then uh, now we both respect each other. And, and it's one of those things, you know, where everybody that hangs around Jerry gives, gives Kevin respect. And... You know, and he, and he deserves it, man. I mean, he's smart. You know, he's 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 extremely smart. He gets paid very well because he's because of how smart he is. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, so it it works out. It works out. And uh, I, I, I'm I'm actually really glad that their relationship is a lot better because when I first met Jerry, that's when it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he, so cool he was hear. a teenager then. Yeah, and it's and it like it like like my uh, my grandmother. My dad's mother calls me Kevin all the time. <laughs> like she, I don't even correct her anymore. Here's the worst part. My name is Jerry. Her husband name is Jerry. Me, I'm, <laughs> I'm named after my grandfather and she still can't get my fucking name right. <laughs> oh my God. And, and it's funny because she like uh, Reese and I will go down there to visit and, and she'll call me Kevin and she doesn't even notice it anymore. 
It's, oh. just, it's just, it's, I just look like him so much that that it's just. It, it, I think uh, she she just uses this as a time to get to have time with her son again, without mm. her son actually being there or something. I don't know. But yeah, that seems devastating. Yep. Do y'all have anything to add on to this uh, scene of son suicide? Oh, well said. Uh, not really. All I, right. I think I think it just added to the fucked up. So <laughs> of this. Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the last house on the left. Um, Do you know they originally, when they were doing all the chainsaw shit, they had the doc actually, like, coming... The doc was the one, like, coming at him more, and the camera was more on him, and the guy, David Hess, was like, uh, no, that's a fucking chainsaw. Let me, uh, lead this scene, because it'll work out the same, it'll look just as good, and I'll be a lot more safer. Oh, wow. And, and... Wes Craven was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's a good idea. Um, (laughs) So, Krug uh, Krug hides after he flees out of the living room, um, and he finds out that the uh, shotgun is unloaded. And so he tries to get out the front door, and he's electrocuted at the front door, but he still lives. And this is where Sadie uh, shows up. my favorite booby trap. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was really good. Uh, Sadie runs out and gets caught by the mother, and they have the classic kind of roll around in the grass and the leaves um, thing. And and you go between them rolling around and fighting and uh, Krug and the Doc fighting each other. A lot of quick cuts, and I really like these quick cuts because our cuts used to be peaceful and tranquility and happiness to evil and devastation and, and terrible things. And now our cuts are... Uh, women fighting and men fighting. There, there is no peace. There is no tranquility left. They cannot make those kind of cuts anymore. You are fully invested. Um, and you have, uh, the end coming. Sadie runs directly into a pool. I thought that was awesome. And, uh, if you think that pool looks gross, it's because it really did look gross. That pool was absolutely disgusting. Um... And uh, the Chica Blade Sadie was not happy about having to be in it, but she did do it. And Sadie gets her okay, so she did know the pool was there, because that that scene where she's running and she just runs right into that pool, it looks okay. like she doesn't know that it's there. And no, no, yeah, she right? doesn't. No, 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 the actress in real life knew the pool was gross, not the not the character. No, 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 no. That's yeah, but it looks so good. That it looked like that the actress didn't know it was there when she was running. Yes, so the way... Okay, so apparently they were having uh, problems figuring out how they were going to do the mother versus Sadie fight. And uh, so they decided... Because, you know, obviously Sadie would win this fight. She's got a knife. She's she's much more of a badass. She's going to handle this. So what they decided to do was have uh, Sadie run and get tackled and drop the knife. And then... She would, uh, when she got back up, because she would be able to take on, you know, the mother, she would just continue running, and she would run into the pool, because it is darker at night, and she doesn't see the pool because of how gross it is. It's kind of dark and green instead of, like, a uh, a bright blue. So she does run into it, because she doesn't know it's there. And uh, that way, she would be left completely open, um, kind of like uh, the chick in the prowler who gets the boot to the fucking face when she tries to come out of the pool. <laughs> yeah. The mother yep. cuts her throat with the knife that Sadie had dropped. 
Right. Um, but I've, I've just got to give credit to the actress, man. I mean, that looked so good. <laughs> that was that was a perfect shot. Yes. And um, we, we have the father killing Krug with a chainsaw and the cops showing up. And um, in probably the only scene with the cops that's actually worth a damn, them being shocked at what's happened, the deputy taking the chainsaw away, like there's nothing there is it's it's there that's it it's there it's it's all happened and the cops could do nothing to stop it to save it and now they just have to accept that it has happened um and then the credits roll and we get that stupid fucking benny hill theme song again yeah. i was just like can <laughs> yeah. i get a, a i want to recut this movie so i can just stop it Right before the credits start, so I don't have to hear this fucking song. Uh, just right when, just the, the the lingering shot of the doc and the wife, leave it there. So yeah, yeah. The, the, how do y'all feel about like this the finale of the cops coming in and seeing what's happened? Uh, Watson, where are you at? Oh man, it makes perfect sense because, and I probably have this in my notes later on, you know, for for when we break down with this, you know, with the format of the movie. But you know, it everything it just it just goes to show about the ineptitude of authority and of these people who are supposed to protect and serve and like they only come when everything is done and it's like oh hey we're here now <laughs> you know and it just it kind of plays into that whole helplessness that the, everybody's been feeling all along who knows what role the cops would have played if they gotten there that's why the remake didn't even include them and i think they were right to really take that whole thing out but yeah i mean just the way cops get there it's done. He's taken the chainsaw to Krug. It's over. And it's like, okay, and now our role begins. Where the heroes here hand me that chainsaw, thanks, end. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It is kind of an abrupt ending. Yeah. But well, I kind of agree with Watson on that. I mean, it, it really, like, one of the things that you learn in firearms training is that, you know, for, uh, for self-defense, is that, you know, the average time for a policeman or the cops to get to your house in a situation like this is about four minutes after they're called, you know, depending on where you live and yada, yada, yada. So the question is, is how much can happen in four minutes? Because in a situation like this, like in this movie, there's a lot of stuff that can happen in four minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. one of the things that they teach you. You know, you've got about four to five minutes before the cops get there. And, you know, more than likely everything's going to pop off within that first minute. And so, you know, that for the fact for them to get there after it was all said and done, I appreciated the fact that, you know, it's they're they're, you know, I guess disgust at what had happened, but at the same time they're empathetic to what's yes. going on. Yeah, yeah. they really you were. Know? They yeah, they would have shot him today, especially if uh the Collingwood's been black. Yes. Right. <laughs> but bam, bam. Yeah. But, you know, walks up, politely takes it. You know, obviously, because he don't want to, you know, he's afraid the doc might be pissed and he don't want to get hacked up. But at the same time, you know, he's being compassionate. He's like, okay, well, and and I think it would have been a little cool, you know, to see what had happened afterwards, how the cops would have done even a little bit further. But at the same time, I can I can totally get why they stopped it where it was, because it had more of an impact. Yep. Okay. so we've walked you through the entire movie. We're going to go over some categories now. To just kind of get in anything we wanted to say that we didn't get to say. So, characters, acting, and development. Um, the only thing I really 
have to add on there is um, the way they did development in this um, movie was was instead of like developing the character, they do more of like character reveals and you just kind of learn more and more and more about the characters and the characters are all kind of the exact same in the beginning as they are for the end for like the crew. They don't really change. Um, it's the victims that change, but they're the, you don't get to see the girls change because they die and, uh, you don't get to see the vic the, the, the parents change because, well, it ends with them fucking killing people. So with that being said, uh, Watson characters, acting development, how you feeling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think that Craven did an amazing job fleshing out these characters so that they're more than cardboard cutout caricatures. Like, okay, I'm just going to walk through a, a few of the characters that I took notes on. So Phyllis, right? Mm -hmm. So here's this girl that we're led to believe from the Collingwood's point of view that she's a bit of that hoe over there. And, you know, she's from the wrong side of the track. She's not their ideal friend for their daughter, Mary. Well, and to an extent, okay, yeah, this girl does got the alcohol you know she's trying to get him stoned she's trying to get her homie stoned but and she's likely sexually active and she's even amused by mary's naivete but all that said like like we discussed earlier when the shit really hits the fan and they're taken out into those woods it's phyllis who remains strong and does everything she possibly can in order in order to spare her friend even to the point of sacrificing herself now keeping with the great characterization here let's look at the calling woods themselves okay all three are pretty layered. Estelle, the mom, and John, you know, Doc Collingwood, the parents. Here they are having this discussion in the beginning about Mary not wearing a bra. So, which during the second wave feminist movement in the 70s was an expression of, you know, sexual freedom, emancipation, all that. But Mary kind of turns the tables on them by pointing out that her own mom and her older generation, they wear bras that accentuate and exaggerate their breasts which itself is sexual enhancement, you know? So we've got this hypocrisy in these otherwise good, sympathetic characters, and I, I dig that. Like, we catch a glimpse even of Mary's own hypocrisy when her dad brings up how Bloodlust, that band, kills a chicken in their live act, and Mary's not phased by it. Like, you think she would be, and her mom's even like, I thought you were the love generation, and right there, it's clear that even this pretty young, peace-loving, love generation lady is just as fascinated by violence as anyone else, providing providing that it's happening to someone else. And eventually, and I, I don't know, I could be off base here, but eventually she herself becomes the sacrificial chicken in Krug's stage show in the woods. And the irony there really makes this movie strong for me. And like I, I won't drone on any, too much more about characters all day here, but what about Krug's clan, right? We we talked about Junior being an unfortunate product of his bad environment and his own end. I mean, that's very fitting. Sadie is this bisexual female killer, rapist, who, while she's viable, vile and horrible, I said viable, but I meant vile and horrible, she's got these moments, too, where, like we've discussed before, she knows a little bit about the feminism of the day, a little bit about Freudian symbolism to make her a little bit more of a puzzle. And, you know, she's talking about being a strong woman. Then a day later, she's killing some little girls. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, no big deal, whatever. But the real star of the show, we're still talking characters, is Krug. And you already said all the good stuff about Weasel, which I didn't have in my notes. Because I, I, I was, I was kind of, he was a mystery to me. And I think you really opened that up for me personally. But with Krug, Hess plays him so well. He's intimidating, fierce, smart, dangerous, like... 
you guys, this guy is the last person you want to run across. But even as evil as he is, I mean, we see evidence in the film that he has a limit to his evil ways. And when he crosses that line, he knows it. He's very human. And that's a peculiar thing to see sometimes. That's why it's, that's why it's easier, I think, when our killers have these cool nondescript masks, right? They have them on when they kill. So, because we can divorce ourselves from their humanity, which both defines and undermines their evil ways. Like Krug is just, I don't know, he's awesome in all the worst ways. And I, I don't know, I, I don't have much more to say about that. This category, good, good stuff. That, that's where I'm, I can go with it. I really like your, your comparison to, to the stage show of the band and the chicken and, and her being the sacrificial chicken for. Did Krug's that sound show. dumb, Jerry? No, that sounded <laughs> fucking amazing. Okay. I was like, Damn. all right. I wish I would have thought of that. Uh, and unfortunately, Kenneth, you got to follow that. So what you got? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm almost completely in agreement with him. I mean, uh, Krug definitely steals the show. And, you know, I think the, I think the guy that played him did a, did a really, really good job at expressing that alpha male, um, you know, I'm a badass you know, in this, in, in this situation. So, you know, but still having that slight bit of humanity and, uh, you know, pretty much everything else I agree with. I mean, I can't really, you know, it's kind of difficult to follow up something when you agree with just about everything that has been said. That's very true. So for story pacing and atmosphere, Kenneth, we will let you go first. I thought the story was great. Um, you know, like I said before, I think the cops could have been omitted, but the story itself, I mean, it, it, the, the pacing in the story went, I mean, it was for a movie that came out in this time period, because as we all know, a lot of times the movies that come out in this time period are slow burns, you know, and uh, not to say that they're bad and not to say that they're boring, you know, uh, but being a slow burn, it's still interesting, but that's kind of, this one was not. It was different for that time period. I mean, it was just kind of like, it was just like, bam, 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 bam. You know, it was one thing after another, after another, after another. And the story just kept going right along. I mean, it was just like moving. And, you know, I really enjoyed that about this movie because it it, it didn't take too long to get to the money, you know, and, and, and this it being sinister. And the only thing that I disliked about it is the fact that they were trying to make this this whole instance with these people being the revenge for the climax of it. And I think that the, 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 the second act overshadowed the third act. I didn't I think even the, think of that. I think the power of the second act, it, it, it was hard to, you could, for me, the end of it didn't follow it up. Well, it didn't. You know, it was just kind of like, you know, you had your beginning, you got everybody being told everything and blah, blah, blah. And then you just got boom in your face, hardcore, pull it to guts, everything that you needed. And then the end of it, it just kind of went back down. It was like it went to peak and then came back down. And I didn't like that because normally when you watch a movie, it's supposed to be rise, 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 hit the climax and then it's over. That's it. But this one didn't do that. And I, that was the thing that I didn't like about it. I, I, I can see that because I've always felt like the third act is uh, showing the resolution of what happens when the anti-family it, uh, affects this traditional family, and it, it doesn't. Well said, Jerry. It, it doesn't have Holy the crap. Yeah, it, it doesn't have the resolution that you feel. But but if you think about it, there's nothing that's going to happen after Act Two that is going to be a good ending. I can't think of a single thing that can be done. And it, but at the same time, you can't, 
you can't have it end at Act 2. You have to do something, but there's nothing you can do. So they just they just went with, okay, well, now that the, the anti-family, ha, ha, like you're, you're so invested in the anti-family, let's see what happens when they they affect the rest of the traditional family. Right. Um, and I think, I, and, and the thing about it is, is, you know, I understand the social commentary that's behind that and what they're trying to convey. But at the same time, I just don't think it was executed very well to have the impact that it should. Yeah. Well, we know Wes Craven's not always the best at executing the idea properly. Um, <laughs> so Watson story pacing atmosphere, what you got? Yeah, gosh, man, you, you really, you guys really blew my mind with that talk of the anti-family meeting the family. I got a mole on, I got to like collect my thoughts about that. I dig that, but uh, no. So, okay, story, pacing, atmosphere. I think the story itself quite strong, but it isn't without its flaws. So I've been sitting here saying nothing but positive stuff about this movie because I like it a lot. Uh, but there, you know, there are some contrivances here that hurt this film in a bad way for me, and each of these is put in to advance the plot, which is a shame because if handled a little better. They could have done just that, advanced the plot without resorting to stupid story beats. But I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but I think the pacing's fine. It's great. Pacing's awesome. Atmosphere, okay, that's a different story for me, and that's where I start to veer into a, a little more negative territory than you've heard me say thus far. So primary thing for me that lends to this film's overall vibe is Craven's use of juxtaposition, okay? It's the biggest strength. And the weakness, the biggest weakness of this film for me personally, on one hand, okay, we get these beautiful shots like we discussed before of like the serene lake and the river, the picturesque woods, the ducks. And it's meant to lull us into an easy state or a false sense of security right before everything goes batshit crazy in the woods with these girls. Great use of parallels and such. Love it. Once again, we got the girls freshly captured being held in Krug's, uh, what is it, flop house or whatever, or motel mm-hmm. apartment. I wasn't sure what that was. I was glad you used the word flop house. And, uh, so they're being held there, and then we get the flashes back to Mary's parents setting up the birthday party. They're having a blast together. These scenes work excellently to promote a great atmosphere, a great use of juxtaposition. Well done. But then, then, you guys, we have awful juxtaposition going on. The scene with the cops, particularly that chicken truck lady scene, we, we've already said we, we basically skipped over it because we weren't even trying to talk about it. So what? It's not a, it, so it's like it's not a good use of levity to help us take a breath after all the bad we've seen. It's jarring. It's laughable. But even worse for me, even worse than even that scene, I'm talking about, and I hate to say this because I like all the songs, just not where they're placed, Hess's soundtrack. Like at times, homies, we know it works. And when it does, I love it. But that baddies theme that's going on, whether they got the girls in the trunk and are driving off, you know, uh, you know, Weasel and Junior, Sadie and Krug. I'm just like, wait, what? Did you just say the names of the characters and I'm listening now and I'm not in the film anymore? Like like I said, I like the song. doesn't belong in the movie. I'm sitting there just going, okay, Mr. Watson, to avoid laughing, keep repeating. It's only an out-of-place song. It's only an out-of-place song. It's only, but, but don't get me wrong here, you guys. Listen to this. The alleged explanation or the defense of this music, it's not lost on me. I understand that some people believe that this happy, upbeat banjo music 
is meant to put us in Krug's frame of mind. He's happy. His homies are happy. The music's happy. Furthermore, this is the exact type of music you'd hear in a lighthearted car chase scene or a silly gunfight. So maybe the filmmakers are trying to make an ironic commentary on the nature of glorifying violence. I get all that. I, the critics have said this that come to the defense of this movie. And this is a movie that's been talked about for decades. I've read these things. I get it. I really do. It's not lost on me. But there are so many other ways to create these same statements without shaking everyone out of the film. Like when I first heard the lyrics of the song, you know, I'm just like, wait, they are talking about the song as I'm seeing it. Like this, this is what it's like the story and it's catchy as hell. But I'm just like, yeah, no, please stop. Don't do that anymore. And then uh, but the key, like, listen, you guys, and the fact is, as far as atmosphere goes, and this is where I end the key to properly juxtaposing themes lies in playing with tension. Now, it's all about a narrative push and pull. You push a little, you pull back, and you do all that while keeping the tension intact. But these scenes I've just described pull too much. They push too much to the point of snapping the tension and throwing viewers right out of the film, and no amount of supposed film theory or philosophical underpinnings changes that for me. So that's where that's where I really come down negatively, negatively on the film, even though I've been sitting here loving it the whole time. But that's the dark side of the film for me. So that, that's yeah, yeah that's I'm, that's where I end. I'm with you on that because while I like the back and forth of the low criminals and the high parents, the ugliness mm-hmm. of crime and the tranquility of nature. Yes. It does not work when the the other two they use is 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 the the stupidity and goofiness of the law and the up because sometimes they do great with the song the road leads to nowhere song is fantastic. Excellent. Uh the waiting on the rain song is fantastic, but yep. then the the Benny Hill Sadie and Krug song is just so <laughs> jarring in it and it takes you out of the movie and it's something that like should not if it was going to play it should have been the second song that plays during the credits oh sure and you hear film theorists trying to defend that like oh no what it's trying to do is present a counterbalance to the to the horrible things going on and it's 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 uh it's craven's statement about the anger and i'm just like stop stop no i'm just like i just want to tell that yeah right it's it's yeah but see that's the thing about me when i watch a movie like this i don't want counterbalance it's cool when it's there every once in a while but as much as they used it in this I'm not one of those people. I like. I'm one of those people that when I watch a movie like this, I want to be gritting my teeth and digging my fingernails into the arms of my chair for thirty to forty-five minutes and then yeah. take a breath. Yeah, and I, I, I like when I have seriousness in a movie. I like it to be serious. Yeah, and, that, yeah, and there's no reason when they already have such good counterbalances going on, they oh, don't need these two excess ones that are failing. Um, so I, I think we're all in Portland there. Uh, this next category is actually really small for me because I don't have much to say. Special effects kill and gore. It's a low-budget 70s movie, and uh, I didn't see anything wrong with what they did, but they also didn't do anything crazy. So you guys got anything to say about special effects or kills or gore? Kenneth? I thought the blood was great. Okay. I thought the blood, for the time period, I thought the blood looked really good. It didn't have that oranges or that red paint look to it mm-hmm, that you mm-hmm. see in a lot of exploitation films. Um, it didn't have that, uh, you know, the, uh, the guts, the little part of the guts that was put in there. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, even down to the blood on their hands, it didn't look too reddish. It looked, it looked good. I got to give them credit for that, for the special effects. But other than that, there really wasn't a whole lot else in it. 
Yeah. Uh, Watson, you got anything to throw on that? I think the only thing I had written, because, I mean, yeah, yeah, just like Kenneth said earlier, you know, it's hard to follow when you agree with everything. I think all I wrote in my notes, I have one line that just says, Weasel be dreaming that they be messing up his grill. <laughs> that's it. That's that's all. I liked it all. I'm ple- I was pleased with everything okay. I saw in that, in that department. So this one, com- the next category is more of a personal one, and it's scare, horror, disturbing. Um, and, and I'm just going to really quick retell the story that I had sent to Watson about this movie. Um, oh, yeah. Why this movie disturbs me. The first time I saw it, I was like 15. I was staying at my dad's for the summer, and he lived surrounded by woods. And this is this is in Georgia. Um, I, I was like 15, and he went on a uh, business trip for the weekend. So I was left there alone on my own accord. I had food. I had cigarettes. I had video games. I had movies. I, I was set. So my dad has a lot of movies. Uh, Kenneth will tell you my dad has always been big into having whether it's VHS, DVD, doesn't matter. Just masses, mass amounts. Whatever Kevin gets into, he gets into it in excess. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I'm looking through there and I see uh, Last House on the Left DVD and it's got Wes Craven's name. And I'm like, okay, well, I at least know that name. It's from the Nightmare series. Um, even though I'm not a big fan of the series, I'm going to give this a shot. So I decided, what the hell, let's do it. And I watched this the first night he is, my dad is gone. And I watched it and became a paranoid wreck for the rest of the weekend, thinking of how realistic it was, how this could happen to me right now, and that no one would know for, like, three days if this happened to me. And uh, it, it truly disturbed me and scared me, and I, 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 I smoked way too many cigarettes that weekend. I would not. I All the doors were locked. All, I wouldn't look out windows. Um... I watched like all like comedies for the rest of the weekend or, or played like lighthearted games. I was fucking done. Um, and it just, it just scared the shit out of me that because of how realistic this is, that act two is so realistic. It could happen. Um, so that, that is my story on it. That's the story I wrote to Watson on one of his episodes where he asked, has there ever been any movie that's actually, truly scared you and i believe that was uh in ties with your exorcism of emily rose pick right yeah i did i did a little list of like three films well i asked everybody what film scared them most even like outside of childhood even still might have an effect and yeah i listed like three and yeah yeah and you responded about that yeah it was, it was yeah fantastic. and i think that was like the first time i had ever really uh uh, uh talked to you um, yeah, and I read. Was that the first time we started really like chatting it up? Because I, I read it on the show, and I I knew who you were a little bit at that point. So, oh uh, yeah, we we had had small communications, but we had not personally talked to each other. It had just been like running into each other from the groups, and it wasn't like uh like any of the meme wars or anything yet. Oh, um, and now look at us. Yeah, now look at us. Okay, so Gosh, I need you like air. With that being said, Watson, we're gonna throw it over to you. Uh, yeah. What do you have for this? I mean, scares, horror, and disturbing. That's the category here, listeners. And, you know, I, I'm throwing I'm throwing uh, my attention at that pretty decent jump scare when Phyllis is running through the woods. And it was it, it was Krug who comes out of nowhere, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, if my TV had been up louder, like I'm 
unfortunately something about with like the, my adrenaline glands or whatever, my, my adrenal glands and the cortisol that I don't have in my system. I don't know. I don't respond well to jump scares. But my lady does. Her bland, her blonde ass bland, blonde ass can't handle jump scares. And so like like that was a good one. If it had been up louder, she would have like jumped out of the couch. That was neat. The horror is top notch. I mean, you got this average everyday family in the Collingwoods who are victimized by this other anti-family. I loved how you said that. They're sadistic criminals. It's a frightening thought, and they've raped and murdered your daughter, her friend, and now they're right here. And you've like they've got to keep up the charade that they don't know what they really know about these people. At least for a you know for a while when they finally do find out. I love it. And once again, I mean that's tension handled quite well like i wouldn't say i was i was outright disturbed by any of it because i didn't see this at a young age in fact actually what what's kind of funny is i when i first saw this movie um i i got in trouble with one of my friends who was there it was it was horrible like because uh, i didn't see this movie until i was like 19 or 20 and i'm watching it with some people who aren't used to horror and i i, I found it disturbing then i was like 19 so this is a you know a few five years ago <laughs> and uh but anyway my, my my friend at the time who was like who was probably probably saw herself as the leader of the group even though we're at my apartment and chilling like that like she was this odd amalgamation of this sheltered conservative fundamentalist christian girl but she was also this like bleeding heart politically liberal feminist and i mean no disrespect to either camp here you know the the, the conservative christians liberal feminists whatever you're all great but like but then when it came to my friend in particular Basically, if you take the most annoying parts of both in-groups and put them into one 20-year-old girl who just took her very first community college courses and now she thinks she knows everything about the world, that's what I had to deal with the first time I watched this film. And so, like, you'd think that I was the one who raped and killed those girls. <laughs> like, it was not a good night. Like, it really wasn't. But so, yeah, when it came to the horror, though, even just watching it back then with people who weren't as familiar with horror as even I was back then and even me then, too, it was just like, damn. What a movie. So very effective. Yeah, uh, it, it does work because literally the wolves are at your door and yeah. you can still see the flesh of your family in their teeth. That 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 right there is is just disturbing in general. Uh, uh, Kenneth, where where are you at on this? I think the biggest thing that kind of punched me in the gut with this is the level of realism. You know, because this scenario could absolutely 100% happen. And especially for the time period. You know, when this movie came out, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have Amber Alerts. We didn't have none of that stuff. You know, if you got abducted, that's it. You know, you you were relying on pure faith to try to save you. But otherwise, more than likely, that was it. You were gone, especially in a rural area like this. So the the level of realism is what got me you know and 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 when i watch movies the things that truly scare me are the ones that are scenarios that could absolutely happen you know like uh, i watched this movie one time called eden lake and that scenario could absolutely happen it's these two, this couple that goes uh goes on holiday for the weekend and these kids that are at this lake that they're vacationing at start fucking with them and it becomes this torturous terrifying thing and that it's completely plausible. And after I got done watching that, just like I got when I got done watching this during the rolling credits, I'm just like staring off into space because my mind is is going haywire with what's with what could actually happen in comprehending these scenarios. And that those are the things that really get to me. That's what to me made this movie disturbing. 
I, well uh, said. I agree there. All right. Best scene, worst scene, Kenneth, what what you got? The best scene to me was, and I think, and I think, I know you and I will agree, Jerry, and I'm pretty sure Watson will be right behind us. Is the one where they're having the right after they get done raping the girl. Yeah, and that scene. Yeah, that to me, that was the best scene in the movie. And you know, they're you know they're being you know the the remorse that you can see even if it is for a split second is there and then like i described it you know where they've all accepted their fate that's that's kind of you know that's the best scene the worst scene to me the one that pissed me off more than anything else aside from the cops is when the father is downstairs and he's trying to figure out what he's going to do and he picks up the wrench and he picks up the fucking uh the trash can lid like a shield I hated that. <laughs> oh my god! You know what's so funny is is uh, in the commentary track I was listening to, they were making fun of that and actually said the exact same thing. Of he picked up the shield. What is he a fucking knight? Yeah, that's, that's hilarious. To me, that was and because it was hilarious, that's the reason why I hated it. Because it's like you're fixing to go into this this scene that's these this this collection of scenes that's supposed to be badass, where the parents are fighting back and they're getting their revenge and whatever. Yeah. And 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 he's supposed to be so devastated because his daughter dies, but yet he's he's swinging this wrench, this pipe wrench, and he's just like, uh, no, that's not gonna work. And he just kind of throws the shit down. It just didn't fit. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I, y'all know my best scene. It's the grass scene, but I do want to give a shout out to when Junior kills himself. I've already explained all oh, those. Man. And the worst scene is is the chicken scene. Um, so I got nothing else to say on that. So Watson, you have some things you want to say, so you go right ahead, sir. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Best best scene for me. I, once again, we're all in agreement here. Immediately after Mary's rape, when Krug, Weasel, Sadie, standing around picking the grass off of themselves, realizing. You know, that as evil as they are, they've crossed a line. You know, the shots of their faces here, there's a disgust there. There's regret. The question of what do we just do? And we viewers are really getting a terrific shot of the humanity behind the evil here. And here, this is where Craven's genius, I think, his use of his, his great use of subtlety shines. And then here we get this dreamlike procession down toward the swamp. And I love this because Mary's walking down there as though in a daze and so are Krug and company. They aren't chasing her. They aren't in a hurry. No one is. Like, what's done is done. It's over now. And then she gets in the water, perhaps as a symbol of, like you mentioned earlier that I said I had in my notes, like as a symbol of like cleansing herself of her iniquity. And then Krug provides her with a mercy killing of sorts. Like, th- that scene just had me just like, I'm sitting there sipping my whiskey, just like, whoa. This is, I don't remember it being this good when I saw this like, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Like, excellent job and uh worst scene the scene that shook me out of the film the absolute most was i already described it already krug and company driving down the road with the girls in the trunk and that music even though i like that song but okay let me let me do a different one toward the end john and estelle collingwood are about to exact their revenge on these killers who took their daughter from them okay i like this sequence of events more than i don't but when Dr. Collingwood starts setting up his traps, the shaving cream, I'm finding myself a little bit ambivalent here, but okay, fine. But then the way Estelle Collingwood kills Weasel, like you guys, like 
that was where I was just like, no, I don't know. I don't know, you guys. Like, was there really no other way for her to go about dispatching this jerk off? Like, did she and her husband, like, they're planning it out. And she's just like, okay, honey, you get the shaving cream and set up the traps and then get your chainsaw. We'll kill these guys. And he's like, okay, cool, babe. Like, so what's your plan? What are you going to be doing? What, what, where will you be? And she's like, I've got this, John. I'm going to take that weasel guy down to the lake. He's like, uh-huh. I'm going to give him a handy for a while and then blow him. It's the only way. And then he's like, no, babe, nah, like, like, wait, hold on. Go, go down to the basement. Go down to the basement, get a hammer or something. Like, maybe sneak a knife out. You'll stab him, right? And she's like, no, John, there isn't time. He's like, no, Estelle, there's time. We got plenty of time. She's like, no, you don't understand. John, why are you so ignorant? This guy helped rape and murder our daughter and her friend. I have to seduce him. Why can't you see that? Why and, don't you understand that I need to that suck was, his dick? So exactly. So uh, I, I'm done joking around, but ex- but it, it elicits that response from me, and I'm just like I'm I'm being like I'm being like Estelle here, and maybe I'm blowing this out of proportion a little bit, zing. Uh, but for reals, I, I hated that scene with Estelle and Weasel. Like, I mean, it, okay, to hear that, okay, dude gets his junk bit off. Okay, that's kind of cool sounding on paper, but when you see it all playing out, like I'd be like, oh man, you like, I, I don't want to. Like, like they handled it better in the remake. There was a little bit of tension, but they handled that better there. I, I don't know. That was the worst scene for me, hands down. So that's that's where I land on that. Uh, fair enough. Uh, plot holes and stupid shit are kind of in the same category as the worst scene. Um, I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah, we're yeah. all gonna say the stupid shit is all the cops. Uh, there's yeah. no real glaring plot hole. I still have a question of the phone action throughout this movie. But it's not big enough for me to really say anything. Do y'all have anything to add to that besides cops are dumb? Sure, yeah. Like, I mean, the fact that they coincidentally break and break down in front of the Caldingwoods house, I was like, okay. And even even then in the in the narrative, he even like Krug's even like, Oh, that's a coincidence. It's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's like it sure is, buddy. Uh the chicken scene, yeah, the chicken truck scene with the cops. And I, listen, I understand. And anybody who might like really be trying to blow this movie more than Estelle was trying to blow Weasel, like I like I understand. Okay, the cops is to illustrate the ineptitude of authority and of those who are supposed to protect us. We said this, but there's no world where I'm going to watch these scenes and be okay with that. But I'm, I'm okay with some of the other cop scenes. They aren't all bad, but I, I don't know. I was, the chicken scene, screw that. And I don't know. What, what did you guys think about the idea? And I wanted to ask you about this, Jerry, since you watched the special features. You know, it, it seemed like you could clearly see – we're talking plot holes, everybody. You can clearly see Mary breathing and moving when her parents find her body. So was that – do you think that was probably oh, yeah. handled or was no, there intentions for her to be further in the movie or what do you think? No, they, they mentioned it was just a fuck up. All right, let's, let's rate Wes Craven's the last house on the left. Uh, Watson, since you're the special guest, we're going to let mm. you lead this so that if you mm. rate this terribly, we can, we can do it better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, last house on the left is, the origin of a master of horror in the making. It's, I, I absolutely, I, I have a, I had a great time with it. It's, it's a flawed film, sure, but it's important. It's impactful. I think it's a film every horror fan should see at least once. I'm gonna give this a four, four stars out of five, and urge folks to see this as soon as you can. Very good, Kenneth. What are you rating this movie? I am gonna go with a. 4.5 out of 5 because I really, really liked it. I think everybody should watch it just like Watson said. But at the same time, it still had a few flaws, so I can't give it a 100%. I absolutely loved it and want to, you know, 
watch it every day of my life. But still an amazing movie. Well, fuck y'all, bitches. I give it a five out of five. I fucking <laughs> love this movie. Yeah. I think it is downright great in its rawness and in your face. And even though it does have the scenes with the cops, eventually I'll re-edit this movie to take that shit out. And I'll make you raw, baby. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, buddy. I uh I love this movie. I think it's a movie everyone in the in who loves horror needs to watch. Needs to take in. I think it's anyone who uh, wants to see a film that will make you uncomfortable or wants to watch a film that has a lot of subtext. This is the movie for you. You need to see this movie. And it really is crazy to me that the fact that Wes Craven's first movie is my favorite movie by him. Yeah, no kidding. He's got some landmark tentpole m- films under his belt. And I, I, I love that this is your favorite one of, of his, actually. I think that's great. Yeah, what's weird is my second favorite film of him is The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, how about that? Like, very good movie. That is. Then after that, I'm like, eh, on Wes Craven. <laughs> Fuck that shit. Scream was great. <laughs> I do, I do like Scream. I will say that I, I like, I like Scream. But that he did this whole thing in the in the '80s that I wasn't down with. Shocker was pretty good. I mean, it wasn't the greatest movie in the world, but it was it was entertaining. It's like the movie no one talks about. When you start talking about Wes Craven, no one brings up that movie. And normally, <laughs> when you say Wes Craven, the first thing that comes to mind is Nightmare on Elm Street. But which is such a shame. <laughs> I love you, Jay. <laughs> All right, guys. So we have ran through the movie. We've said what we need to say. This is a much longer episode than normal. Um, but I've got one thing for you. I'm, I'm going back to the past to kill the cast, and I'm busting it back out. We got a prequel versus sequel. Gentlemen, would you rather have a prequel of crew and crew committing more crimes like the triple homicide that's brought up where crew kills a a priest and two nuns um, and even maybe getting into like the child molestation of Weasel and the drug addicting of, of uh, uh, Junior? Or... Would you like to have a sequel where we actually get to go through the court case of uh, of the parents and the murders? So, Watson, since it's your your, your first time here, we're going to give it. Do you want a prequel of Krug and the murders or do you want a sequel of what happens in the courtroom after all of this is over? Um, I, I think... Since we a prequel would be dealing with established characters that we've already met, we already know them a bit, and it'd be like kind of further expounding on who they are. The the only because I'm usually more interested in sequels, even though I'm not like I'm kind of notorious for not being a sequel watcher, which is why I haven't gotten to your Psycho Three show yet because I I haven't had time to watch the Psycho movies, but you I will. And I, oh, and I know, and you know, I'm gonna love it. You know how I roll. But like a sequel would be good to me if they set it up in this film, like oh, there are some other people in their camp who are waiting for them somewhere else. If that one little fact were in this film, like okay, we got to go meet up with the other homies who are just as bad as we are. And then there's a sequel where we got the court case and we have these other characters who are like, okay, Krug and company never got here, but guess what? We're worse than they are, and we go- we're going to get you. That's where I'd be interested in a sequel, but from what you've presented me with, I- I'm going with prequel. All right. Kenneth, where are you at? Prequel or sequel? It's very difficult for me to choose because this movie is pretty good standalone. Um, I think yeah. that if we went with a sequel and it had to deal with the court case against the parents – 
I think it wouldn't be nothing but a whole bunch of flashbacks to the beginning, you know, of the first one. It, that's all it would be, especially if you watch them back to back. Now, if they somehow or somehow or another did it like a standalone movie instead of a sequel, it might be better. But the unfortunate thing with movies that have to deal with court cases is, is if you're dealing with a movie that is surrounding on a court case, that movie in itself needs to be a standalone because there's really no substance to it if there's another movie that, of the actions that are taking place for the court. So I guess I would have to go with a prequel just for that fact. Because I think a sequel movie where it had nothing to do with the court case against the parents would kind of suck. Fair enough. I actually was going for the sequel of the court case because I thought it'd be interesting to not only see the court case as it unfolds, but see how this has affected their lives, how how they have to deal with this in this small town, and how uh, they have to now deal with the mourning of their child while putting by putting everything on blast in the in the the public eye because this would be a crime of the century and, and news coverage and handling all that stress while while um, being part of dealing with everything would just be really interesting and it would make a really good drama but y'all do bring up a good point that it would be hard to do a court case where you didn't focus where you didn't have so many flashbacks but i think if they focused more on the court case is the main thing but there's a lot of just how they have to live their lives now and how they're dealing with what people are saying and writing about them in general uh would be really really interesting so i'm going sequel yeah but like i said before i mean even in that i mean you know you really gotta i mean it it's two different styles of movie mm-hmm. you know you would have you have your your quote-unquote exploitation of the first one you know where it's real disturbing and it's real serious and and, and so on you've got that and then once you go into the this extreme courtroom drama you know uh, the only the only things that com- that combine the two movies is just the fact of the characters and the underlining story or the backstory from the first movie. That's the only thing oh, because yeah. sty- stylization of these two movies is going to be completely different. Kenneth, you know how you had an issue with the third act. What if you yeah. actually made it where Act One was more of the prequel idea, where we find out more stuff about Krug? It's Krug and them talking about their what they've done before and you get more evidence of that or um like and then you have the second act which is the last house on the left movie and then the third act being the court case or if you redo the whole movie and kind of do it in the same way of the exorcism of emily rose well i guess you couldn't do that because no one would be alive that could tell what happened in the woods at that point but the way you had originally set it up is i think you know uh, I think that would make that would have made for a better movie, but I think it would have made for a better movie now. Yeah, now because sure. I don't th- I don't think a movie like that would have done very well in the seventies. But I think a movie like that would do very well now, especially considering you know you've got all the crap that we watch now or that that is available to watch now. Like uh, what's that big Netflix thing that they had uh, something about a serial killer or something? M- uh, making a murderer. Right. You know what I'm saying? You got stuff like that. And then and then, uh, you know, your idea kind of really reminds me of Helter Skelter. Yeah. The original Helter Skelter. It kind of reminds me of that. So, you know, I think that would I think a movie like that would do a lot better now than it would back then. Fair enough. I, yeah. So if y'all want to remake this for for uh, again out there, we just <laughs> gave you the perfect way to do it. Um, so without further ado, thank you for joining us for Last House on the Left. Um 
we were joined by Watson from Horror Corridor, but uh, this is the longest Kill the Cast show ever. Um, it is it? God, I do this everywhere it, it, I go. It, it, everywhere you are. Anyway, so... Uh, Kenneth, In my technical difficulties. Uh, well, no one would know about those. I, I edit those out, baby. Except for right now. They know about them now. But either way, um, Kenneth, do you have any parting words? I appreciate Watson coming on, and I really enjoy uh, listening to his insights on things. And uh, it sucks that Jay couldn't be here with us for it. Yeah. Yeah, he's out there making that money right now, but that's mm-hmm. okay. He'll be back. He'll be back shortly, everyone. Uh, Watson, adulting sucks. Adulting does suck. Uh, <laughs> Watson, do you have any parting words? I do. It just just a, a big, big thank you to you guys. I'm I'm a huge fan of this podcast, and you know you know you Jerry, you know personally, I have been for you know a while. I've been talking with you a lot. Finally, getting to talk with Kenneth more. Jay's the only one I've never really had much contact with, but. We'll change that. You know, now we're on the same network now. Just welcome to the network. Much love, you guys. Thanks so much for reaching out to me to have me on. I was happy to even do that little commercial I did for you on the Dracula episode. Even that, that's contributing to your show up to that point was just like an honor for me. Like, uh, yeah, I'm totally just digging what you guys are doing. I can't wait to see you guys cracking that top 10 on Horphilia consistently. Much love, guys. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for coming on, uh, lowering your standards down to come be with us people. Uh, we are we are the Krug and Company of the Horophilia Network. <laughs> Gotta and have them common conversations. Yeah, and you're 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 a Doc Watson. So thank you oh, everyone yeah. for joining us. You can find us in all the usual places: uh, Facebook.com/slash Kill the Cast, Facebook.com/slash Groups. Slash kill the cast. Uh, we are on the Horophilia Network, so you can find us by typing in Horophilia or Kill the Cast pretty much anywhere you go. Shout out to Horophilia for having us. And uh, the the podcast leads to nowhere. 